Welcome, everyone. Welcome to WrestleMania Salvation. I am your host. My name is Sal. And on this episode, we return to the Great White North for the first time in 12 years as the WWF. And yes, for one more WrestleMania, it's still the World Wrestling Federation comes to us live from Canada. On this episode, making his grand return to the WrestleMania Salvation Podcast, he is the man who joined me in the bright lights of Indianapolis, Indiana for WrestleMania 8. Ladies and gentlemen, throwing an X in front of it this time around, Jason is here. You know, and I think it's uh, I think it's only fitting being that I was, in fact, the person who came up with the name for the show that I am here tonight for my second appearance. Um, and it's going to be an interesting night uh, as we talk about... I listened to uh, your WrestleMania 17, and, and you and Adam did a great job, as usual. I really enjoyed it. Um, the one thing I take exception with is I think Adam and, and other people, and it's not just him, uh, but they tend to believe the ratings on Cage Match as gospel because outside of the uh, Hardy Boys, the, the, the you know, I'm talking about the... Uh, ladder match there, the tag title ladder match, and uh, Rock and Austin. I'm going to say 17 was one of the more overrated WrestleManias, and I'm going to I'm going to make a case tonight that this one is one of the more underrated WrestleManias. I would agree with you. 17 um, is definitely overrated. I think a lot of people see it through rose-colored glasses as the end of the Attitude Era, the night the WWF proclaimed victory, whatever you want to call it. But no, you're not wrong. You got the you know, you, you you got the the tag title match, and obviously Rock and Austin was super epic. That was great. Taker and Triple H was was good, but it wasn't. You know, I think they've had better matches since. And uh, other than that, I mean, everything else is kind of forgettable. So in so much, you know, I've forgotten it take it took place until I listened to your show. Yeah, absolutely, it was. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that and much much more. But first, let's go to the WrestleMania rundown. The 18th WrestleMania was marked and named WrestleMania X8 and took place on March 17, 2002 from the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. On this night, WrestleMania X8 set a new indoor attendance record for the Sky Dome with a crowd of 68,237 fans, beating the previous record of 67,678 fans, which had been set by WrestleMania 6 in 1990. The tagline for WrestleMania X8 was the one and only. You know, so, Jason, to, to answer your question before you ask it, yes, a 13-year-old Ricochet was watching this and taking notes. <laughs> no, that wasn't even my question. Uh, my question was my, more of a comment. Uh, it's funny that you brought up the attendance figure, because as I was watching this, Fink goes to announce it. And for whatever reason, one of the random memories that has stuck through my childhood was the WrestleMania six moment where the Fink announces, you have helped set a new indoor attendance record. All 67,678 of you. I have always remembered the WrestleMania 6 attendance figure. I cannot tell you why or how or why, what the reasoning is, but when he announced it, that was the first thing that popped into my head, and then you just confirmed that the number was correct. So all these years, I've held on to that number. Wow. that's uh, That shows your dedication to this business. To hold on to just that number. But hey, good. It's, it was an epic night, WrestleMania 6. A lot of people will say that. Well, and I think 6 was probably the first year I really, truly 
in-depth followed wrestling all the way up to WrestleMania. I did I did catch WrestleMania 5. Uh, that was when I was just sort of getting into it. So I went back and caught the storylines. But 6 was sort of the one, first one where I had followed it all the way through in the saga of Hogan and Warrior. So I think that one just stuck in my head for some reason. Yeah, exactly. And that that's what happened to me at 8. It was the first one where I really followed all the way up until, you know, all the storylines and, and literally anticipated every single moment going into 8. Which does uh, mean I followed the Harlem Sewer Rat storyline between Rowdy, Roddy, Rowdy, Roddy, Piper, and Bad News Brown. But you didn't know he was going to show up in Half Blackface. I did not. <laughs> I've been trying to forget it ever since. It wasn't just his face either, but never mind. Um, you know, this WrestleMania, WrestleMania 6, both in Toronto, I think personally, and they'll never do it, they should do more WrestleManias internationally. I mean, it's a guaranteed sellout no matter where you go. Uh, the crowd's going to be super hot for it because they've never had a WrestleMania. Can you imagine WrestleMania in Rome or, uh, you know, Brazil or like, you know, every place you do an Olympics, just do a WrestleMania there too. The, the problem with that is it is still a domestic product. And given that fact, you're either putting them on a tape delay, which spoils everything for which they don't want to do for WrestleMania, or you're asking your crew to get up at four or five in the morning, which is one thing for an Australian piece of shit house show, uh, <laughs> but it's another thing for WrestleMania. Uh, but London could work because you could actually air it at 12 o'clock over here and start it at six o'clock over there. Yeah. But you're going to air a WrestleMania at 12 o'clock on a Sunday when football's going on. Oh, no, football's not going on in March. here. Right? No, yeah. no, it's not. Fair point. Yeah, still, I think I think 12, 12 is really early to ask a crowd to settle in, and it also takes away the fact, you know, WrestleMania has sort of become an all-day event with like a seven-hour pre-show and everything. And, <laughs> You're not um, wrong. <laughs> so it might be tough to pull that off at this point. We'll see. Uh, tonight, it's so nice that Jerry Lawler has returned to his his position at the commentary table. It looks like he just decided to tuck tail and come back to his usual seat. I'm assuming he divorced his wife by this point, or else he probably wouldn't be back. But he had about four divorces. He's like at flair level now with the amount of marriages and divorces he's had. So I don't know how long his marriage to Stacey Carter lasted. But whatever. doesn't matter. Jerry Lawler's back tonight. Oh, we're going to have some comments about someone named Stacey on this show, though. So. Oh, oh yes, we will. Rest assured. <laughs> uh, we open the show with the band Saliva performing the theme song for tonight entitled superstar now i gotta say decent performance but i gotta wonder how many people in the crowd really knew who they were because it seemed pretty quiet well, by the end of the fucking night they knew who they were because they were out about 12 different times um it's funny because they said they introduced the band saliva and i'm thinking eh, that's an interesting choice for the national anthem but then <laughs> no they they went right into their song uh, my favorite part of their song was at one point the lead singer yells, WrestleMania, get your ass up off your shoulders, baby. And I'm, what the <laughs> fuck does that mean? I have no idea I, what that means. I was assuming he was on drugs. Um. But get your ass up off your shoulders is something I'm running with now. So There you go. Uh, I kind of... I kind of enjoy the band Saliva when they first came out. Like, Click, Click, Boom, obviously it was a huge song. Always yeah. is a great one, if you know. Always. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. The, that whole era 
like with Godsmack and slot and things like that. I think I grew out of it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just like a phase. Because to try to listen to them now, I'm kind of like, eh. <laughs> I, I still have always on my gym playlist, so. All right, so there you go. Uh, you know what I love about the Sky Dome, and they they did this at six too. So they have this awesomely done entrance structure with all the scaffolding and the and the metal, and then there's a there's a screen behind that, but then on top of it, there's a, like a giant like would make Jerry Jones jealous fucking screen. Yeah, that that's a cool visual. Um, and they played all like the hype videos uh, while Saliva was performing, but. Yeah. We actually then got a traditional WrestleMania entrance video mm-hmm. highlighting all of the feuds that were going to happen tonight. And here's the weird part. See, this is why a lot of people don't like Biker Taker. He's doing commentary on it. Oh, we're going like... to have a talk about Biker Taker later, too. Trust me. But uh, one thing I did find interesting in that package, though, they referred to WrestleMania as the granddaddy of them all, which was always the tagline associated with Starcade back in the day. Uh, so I sort of wonder if uh, Vince bought the tagline when he bought WCW. I don't know. Um, the other thing I found particularly interesting, if you noticed, was uh, when they had Scott Hall talking over the doing the voiceover, they used a clip of Razor Ramon, which is sort of weird given that they had purchased WCW at this time and had the full WCW tape library where you could have any amount of footage. Oh, and by the way, he's been on your show recently, uh, where you could have any footage of him as Scott Hall without all the fireworks going off behind him and him doing the, the, the razor dance. It was a little strange. Yeah, uh, we'll get to Scott Hall. <laughs> but first... <laughs> We start off the night just like we started off WrestleMania 17 with a match for the Intercontinental Championship. This time, however, William Regal is defending the title as opposed to being the challenger for it. Um, Rob Van Dam is the one who gets the shot tonight. Huge pop for Van Dam. Yeah, I don't, now, think, I don't think there's anybody better suited to open a WrestleMania than Rob Van Dam. Agreed. Now, I was always a huge Van Dam fan. Um, followed him all the way through ECW. It it takes him a while, in my opinion, for him to reach the level I always thought he could in the WWF, and then he doesn't stay there for very long because of drugs. But um, and Sabu. Yeah, well, he's another one. But I, I always, I've actually often wondered if uh, Sabu had not come over from ECW, if Rob Van Dam's career trajectory would have been a little bit different. I don't know. Probably. You're not wrong. A little food for thought. Uh, but tonight, Van Dam gets a very, very brief window to showcase his talents. This match went six minutes. And, uh, you know, for what it was, uh, I always enjoyed William Regal's power of the punch gimmick. Um, I thought it was funny that he had two pairs of brass knucks on him tonight. Uh, and Van Dam's five star is fucking beautiful. Every time you see it, it looks better and better. Yeah, I love the way he sells that, like, his ribs hurt from doing it. I thought mm-hmm. that he always gave it a little bit extra to it. Um, also, goddamn, William Regal worked great as a heel. There's just very few people whose ring psychology as a heel was as good as William Regal, Stephen Regal. However, from the beginning of time since I first saw him, I, that, that's the one thing that always stuck out to me. Um, and you mentioned the two pairs of brass knucks. Now, I found it a little strange that they brought out that second pair only to really have it never come into play, including the fact that Regal, after he got kicked, 
tucked them under himself to keep the referee from seeing them, when in reality, if the referee saw him, if a disqualification happened, he would keep his title. So as a heel, I, I didn't get that part. That was a little weird to me. Okay, I actually have that in my notes. That's the one disconnect I have during this match, is that Regal walks in as the champ. Why is he trying to hide the brass knucks? Right. At all. Yeah. If he gets DQ'd, he, and, I, and I get the spot where Van Dam kicked it out of his hand at the beginning. That made sense. Right. But he shouldn't be trying to hide them because if he gets DQ'd, he retains his title. And I thought it was brilliant, the spot where he lets the referee take one and then grabs the other pair. But right. Yeah, the, the way they, the sequence they did with them at the end seemed to took away from it a little bit for me. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't get that because, like you said, it didn't play into it. He, he got knocked down. He hid the knocks under him while he got the five-star. And then you clearly saw them on the mat during the pinfall, and they just kind of sat there. So. Right. Yeah, it was it was definitely a little weird, and of course it wouldn't be a uh, William Regal or Rob Van Dam match if the opponent's mouth wasn't busted open. So of course both of them <laughs> ended up bleeding from the mouth. Yeah, that's not surprising. <laughs> Jr. makes a point to mention that that Van Dam was bleeding from the mouth after he won the title, but I gotta say Van Dam super over, and like he just came over yeah. and started probably what six months before this event. Yeah. So super super over, but they never let him talk. So that not that he was like the best talker, but people forget in ECW he could cut a fucking promo. Well, and, and it'll be interesting to see as we sort of continue the theme with WrestleMania of sort of the past mirroring the present a little bit, because Rob Van Dam's sort of laid back, real cool dude gimmick sort of reminds me a little bit of Matt Riddle from Modern Day Wrestling, uh, uh, who's just signed to NXT. So it'll be interesting to see if he sort of has that same. Uh, connection with the crowd that Van Dam did. It will be interesting to see. We have yet to see Matt Riddle on NXT TV as of last week because I didn't watch last night yet. I'm a little bit behind on my NXT and my Mix Smash Challenge and my May Young. Jesus, there's too much fucking wrestling on the network. <laughs> I got to tell you, for those who listen to this week's edition of the Rundown, I got the week off from watching wrestling. It was one of the best weeks I've had in a long, long time. Which is sad. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna dive into that, but uh, <laughs> the fact that a week off is you know what's funny though, uh, not to go off on a tangent, but I actually didn't mind most of the wrestling from this week on Raw and SmackDown. I thought the thread they did with Ambrose was was great. Like Troy said, it, you know, obviously they're planting seeds, but I thought they actually executed it well throughout the night to the point where the crowd was into it. Um, and I'm a fan of Leo Rush. I think he's kind of funny. You know, it's actually working for Lashley. As much as I don't want it to, it actually is. But that's for another show. So uh, backstage, right after this match, we get a creepy as fuck shot of Christian just smiling into the camera. Just mocking Paige. Oh, yeah. You remember that? This was back in the day when DDP was doing the big white smile and positively no, no, page. No, I, I, I know, I know. It, it just was weird because that's where the camera started was on his face and then it panned out. I think one of my favorite stories ever is that Vince was so turned off by Christian's face that at one point he suggested a gimmick where they would put a blue dot over Christian's face and he would wrestle with a blue dot over his face for his entire run. That was a legitimate thing. Because I don't know if you remember back in the day, they used to have like, uh, now we sort of blur faces, but when you had someone on TV you didn't want to identify, they would just put this big blue dot over their face. I remember that. Um, 
so Vince's gimmick for Christian, his suggestion, and they talked him out of it apparently, luckily, was that he, he found Christian's face so unnerving and like sort of creepy that he said we should his gimmick should be the guy who wrestles with the dot over his face. It's hard to argue with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching this like, oh God, he's like so like his whole presence is just so obnoxious before like he came out with like the Captain Charisma gimmick and stuff. Yeah. Like I just the fucking mesh shirt and the Ugh, I just I never cared much for Christian when he was finally on his own. Uh, uh so in this segment Lillian Garcia is confused because she's like DDP helped you get a win and then as soon as you finally won cuz he went on like a um not Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins type of losing streak. Yeah. Well this and, is also you know, when he was throwing a temper tantrum after every loss too. Yes, yes. So DDP actually helped him get a win and then he turned on DDP, which I didn't think was cool. Um, I did appreciate Christian as a heel saying that he wasn't from Toronto anymore. <laughs> he was going to be announced as from Tampa, Florida, because he hates all the people he grew up with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obvious cheap heat, but it's time-honored, and it's sort of cool to have a throwback to that old-school cheap heat. Now, it's me, it's me, it's DDP comes on the screen. Oh, man, I, the fuck, dude? All right. <laughs> So this this episode is going to be filled with a lot of people want to complain now about how Vince wastes talent. Let's talk about how Vince wasted Diamond Dallas Page. This is a guy who was world championship material for a couple of years in WCW, super over with the fans. And he comes over here and he's doing a self-help guru gimmick, which ironically ended up being like kind of what he ended up being in life. <laughs> not, not, not untrue. Minus the yoga, but <laughs> yeah. um, but DDP could have been so much more than European champion. Mind you, he started his career by stalking the Undertaker's wife. Yes, yeah. <sighs> so did you? Okay, go ahead. So I was a huge fan of Page back in WCW, and now, right? Uh, looking back now, I think it's pretty clear as you walk through all the WCW guys, Vince was just sort of extracting some revenge on a lot of these guys just like i'm not going to put you over my guys because you're wcw guys i'll i'll use your name to get a little press and draw a couple pop a couple of ratings but at the end of the day whatever programs you're in you're going to lose because you're not wwe guys and if i put you over wwe guys i'm putting wcw over wwe and i can't do that uh and if hash you, texting and, and if you well <laughs> yeah and if you disagree with that, I need only direct you to the the match of the five-time, 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 five-time WCW Heavyweight Champion that we'll talk about in just a little bit. Okay. So speaking of which, just to give everybody a little bit of backstory, as we talked about last episode, Vince purchases WCW. He wins. Okay? And the original idea was that he was going to have WCW be its own separate show. They were going to have their own separate show, their own separate brand. Um, and, and, Vince, and then Buff Bagwell happened. And then Vince had a match on Raw in probably the wrong fucking town, knowing Vince, and probably the wrong fucking week. Where well, Do you know why it was the wrong town in the wrong week? I don't know the details. Okay. I did at one point. So they did it. I forget what the town they did it in. It was I think it was somewhere in the Midwest. It but should have been Atlanta. The next fucking week they were in Atlanta. Yeah. Raw was in Atlanta the next fucking week. 
where these guys would have been over like Rover. Yeah, instead he does it in bumfuck nowhere, and Buff Bagwell has a match with Booker T. Obviously, both guys are nervous, and I don't think it was the worst match of all time, but nobody really reacted. Right, but nobody really reacted to it, so Vince was like, oh, that's it. We're not doing a, a separate WCW brand. I'm killing that whole idea. They also made Scott Hudson the lead announcer for it, and Arn Anderson, who is one of the best promo guys of all time, but was never great on commentary. He was the play-by-play guy. So right. Why not have... Well, I don't know what the working relationship was with Shivani at that point, but like, that's not a good idea to have those guys as your introduction to the WCW product. That's nope. terrible. I mean, Mike uh, Tanay would have been miles better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mike Tanay proved he can be an amazing play-by-play guy in TNA years later. Right. But for whatever reason, Vince decided he And you would know. To... You were sitting next to him the whole time. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, he's absent from the show, but he's still employed by this company, which is... He's strange. not absent from this show. We'll talk about it later. Okay. So, <laughs> I missed it. Um, so, DDP was brought over kind of after everybody else initially. And, and WWF didn't bring over the superstars from WCW initially. There's a lot of things to be worked out with contracts. So, a lot of people who came over were mid-card guys. Maybe a couple of tag teams... That were a little bit over. Nobody of real note that initially got brought over, right? Am I miss? I mean, other than Booker T, am I missing anybody? Yeah, DDP and Booker T were probably the two biggest that they they were able to get. <laughs> yeah, especially considering when you take a look at that roster on the last night of Nitro, there was barely anybody left. But really, I mean, who could? Well, I mean, Kid Romeo. There was always that. Um, but. Who could really blame a lot of these guys because the terms of their contract basically allowed them to sit at home and get paid way more money to do nothing than they would have to take a buyout and they would have gotten less in a contract with Vince to go out and take bumps. So it didn't make financial or physical sense for these guys to, to do the, undo those deals. Yes, yeah, so a lot of the big... Yeah, a lot of the big money pe- people in WCW were, were collecting money while they were sitting at home, which is beautiful for them. And then eventually, as those deals started running out, they started showing up on WWF TV. Page yeah. being one. And that's when you got your Hogan, your Goldberg, yep. and your Ric Flair, and all those guys started rolling in, the NWO, ironically, around this time. Um, so Page, you know, still over. Um, again, kind of a quick match with Christian here. Nothing really uh, to write home about. I thought Christian did some decent heel work. I didn't like the fact that JR brought up about 17 times that Paige was the chauffeur at WrestleMania 6. I'll say I did like that. <laughs> See, I felt like it was trying to, it was kind of trying to bury him. I was just like, all right, dude, we get it. Yeah, before he was a wrestler, he, he drove the honky tonk man to the ring. I get it. Like, they were just trying to tie it to, to the past and, and that there's a little history there. He wasn't a completely new guy. Um, to your point, I've always thought, and to this day I still maintain it, that Christian is one of the most underrated performers in history. I thought this guy could have been given so much more than he actually was. Obviously his world championship runs were sort of an embarrassment. Um, but I think his if you go back and watch that series of matches with Randy Orton, those were some of the best modern era matches I've seen in terms of uh, performance while still getting over a personal hatred of the other um, just phenomenal work between those two, and I, I was always, always a fan of Christian, and I, he's always managed to have some of the cooler theme music, I thought, too. Oh, definitely. I, I did appreciate his theme song in this. There was an awkward moment at the end of this match where 
they were getting to ready to go into the finish and, and Paige spun around Christian. And I think they both thought it was a different spot because they kind of just like squared off and stared at each other for a yeah. couple seconds. Yeah. And then eventually we got the diamond cutter. Still huge pop for the diamond cutter. So, uh, and then diamond Dells page gets the win. And then post match grabs a microphone and he tells Christian that he's so proud of him, bro. Cause he didn't lose his temper to which of course, Christian loses his temper and throws a fucking bitch fit in the middle of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, which I thought was actually kind of funny. It's amazing why some of these guys never got over, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that was his gimmick. Creepy Christian with the fucking temper tantrums. Could have been a blue dot. Just saying. That's <laughs> true. I guess what's worse, throwing a temper tantrum and having JR say, get that boy a diaper or a blue dot. <laughs> uh, backstage. Jonathan Coachman is with the great one. Finally, the Rock has come back to the Rock Hulk Hogan, the stage is set. WrestleMania, the biggest matchup of all time. A matchup that will determine who will go down as the greatest ever. And Hogan, last week, you asked the Rock. You stood in the ring and asked The Rock what you're going to do when Hulkamania runs wild on you. You see, Hogan, what you're failing to realize, The Rock wants you to remember, is The Rock wants Hulkamania to run wild on him tonight. The Rock wants Hulkamania in all of his glory. Coach, let The Rock ask you something. Did you take your vitamins this morning? Well, actually, I did, Rock. <laughs> we actually, Rock, thank you. <laughs> well, Rock asked you this. Did you say your prayers? Well, actually, I, I got kind of busy. I was you got busy saying your prayers. The Rock gives thanks every day. We all do. And you got busy? Well, Rock, it's been a Well, busy. what are you waiting for, Coach? What are you waiting for? You know what? Shut up, Coach. You don't make any decisions around here. The Rock's not going to make a decision tonight. Excuse The Rock one second. Would you people like to see the coach say his prayers? You see, coach, they believe in you. The Rock believes in you. So, coach, say your prayers. Say your prayers. So put your hands together, coach. Put them together. Look up into the sky. Look up. Get down on your knees, coach. Get on your knees. Say your prayers. Give your thanks. Get out on your knees, coach. Coach, we all believe in you, coach. Now you say your prayers like you've never said them before. What up, Jake? Coach here. I just wanted to give you, you know, a quick shout out. Good night for everybody. What in the blue hell is wrong with you? What up, G? That's the way you give thanks? You get out of here, you sick freak! Man, what a fucking great promo this was. I feel like you could say that about almost any rock promo, particularly at this time. This run, he was at his best, I think. Yes. Oh, no, he was 100% at his peak. This was peak rock. Um, 
I just loved the shock displayed in his face when Coach started saying his prayers. What up, G? <laughs> what in the blue hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Get out of here, you Although, sick freak. Did, did you catch it? Because at the, at the beginning, Rock asks Coach if he took his vitamins, and he Coach did. said he forgot to, and then Rock went into, what do you mean you didn't say your prayers? Like, no, that's not what you asked them. <laughs> Uh, but as Rock said, it doesn't matter because you don't make the rules around here, Coach. No, but the the Rock introduced us to the phrase Hulka Strudel, though, which will haunt my nightmares for a while. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, he did. Um, this now, is what... now was this was this Hulka Strudel ten inches or four inches? Was it Hulk Hogan's Hulka Strudel or Terry Bollea's Hulka Strudel? Because they're, um, they're different things. Hmm. It's a good question because also is Hollywood Hulk Hogan's Hulk Strudel different than Hulk Hogan's Hulk Strudel? I mean, because Hogan's established that they're different depending on whether you're talking about the character or the real guy. So, I mean, we know that that the Immortal has a ten inch song. So, I don't know if Hollywood song. What song? I said song. Pretty sure you said song, but okay. (laughs) The microphone cut out. but that's the immortal. I mean, what about Hollywood? Is he is he only packing eight at that point? What about Terry Bollea? What's Terry? Did they ask him that in court? I, Terry, I, what are you packing? I think he said four or six or something like that. <laughs> Solid six. <laughs> four out of ten. <laughs> the Bret Hart. <laughs> All right. Whose so, name will come up later in this show, believe it or not. Oh, God. Yeah, why didn't Bret Hart come over? And then he bought D.I.G. I wonder why. Um, next up, we get our hardcore championship. Oh, what a steaming pile of shit this thing was. Uh, okay, so as much as it's funny, because I do remember some of the backstage stuff later on. I didn't remember how this match went because it was forgettable. Um, and that's exactly what I did was forget it. But. Maven, so, so that's right, Maven, not Raven, because that would have been cooler, but Maven is going to be challenging Goldust uh, for the Hardcore Switch it around, Goldust was the Maven challenger. was the champion. Yes. Oh, that's even better. Uh, so. and, and interestingly enough, this match was made like 36 hours before WrestleMania, which is probably why the crowd wasn't so into it, because they didn't really know, because Maven, though he had won the title at a taping, it didn't air on TV until I think like the... Tuesday or Thursday or whatever before WrestleMania. So there was like no actual build to this at all. Wonderful. So that that's probably why I was confused that Maven was champ. But you're right. Maven was champ entering the match. Uh, Goldust, I appreciate that he had the golden weapons. Yeah, that's cool. It, re- it reminded me of WrestleMania 12 against Rowdy, Roddy, Piper. Okay, because I was going to hang up this call. <laughs> um, and, you know... Goldust can still work in 2002. He's he's taking it to him. That for what it's worth, Goldust actually had some decent offense in the three minutes of this match. Goldust is always an underrated worker. I think that's great. I I'm I'm gonna maybe I'll be in the minority here, but I was always a fan of Maven. There was something about that kid I always really liked that I thought he had the it factor, the charisma, whatever you want to call it. Um, was it I, the eyebrows? I also, I also loved his theme song because he had that the tough enough theme, and it wasn't on the WWE Network version. They, they got rid of it. I think it was called "Behind the Stars," um, was the name of it. But it was the theme song they used from that season of Tough Enough. 
uh, R.I.P. Matt Capitelli. Um, but yeah, and I was always a fan of Maven. I thought the kid could have done a lot more than he actually ended up doing. Um, but you know, a little more seasoning, a little more time. If they had done a little bit more with them, who knows? In his defense, which is not a position I find myself in often, um, I I do understand that Maven had a lot of potential. Maybe it was the way they booked him that irked me. Like, they're already bringing up um, in this match, oh, Maven eliminated The Undertaker at the Royal Rumble. Well, it was like his first match. It was sort of, you, you know, your first time out. You that We spent years and years hearing about how John Cena on his first night went toe-to-toe with The Undertaker, even though he lost. Angle. So, angle, sorry. Um, so it's, well, no, and then there was, oh, there was the handshake with The Undertaker afterwards. Yes, that's um, right. But, yeah, so uh, this is not a formula they haven't used before, and we saw it similarly with Sami Zayn and John Cena during the U.S. Open Challenge, too. Yeah, no, I know. I remember that spot in the Rumble, and, you know, you got badass six foot ten biker taker, and he gets eliminated with like a drop kick. I just oh. rumble, dude. Lots of guys got eliminated with shit like that. It was supposed to be sort of a fluky thing. That's how you keep Taker strong in that scenario. The fuck, True. did you want him to press slam Undertaker over the top rope? No, I, I preferred not it, it not be Maven. Like if he wants to get his 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 you know but moment. But the whole point is, if you're gonna build up the younger talent, he's got to have that shocking moment where he goes over the guy you don't expect him to go over. Maven going over fucking Doink does nothing. The crowd's like, oh, you fucking eliminated Doink. Then have him go over Test. Don't have him go over the tippity top of your Test fucking... Test doesn't give you that fucking rub. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's not believable. It's like Mysterio being the big show. It, it really takes you out of it. Oh, Jesus Christ. But yeah, we have no problem with Beth Phoenix eliminating the great colleague. Go fucking figure. Well, I didn't say that, but... <laughs> That was your take. So, <laughs> at one point... It is wrestling. We're, we are telling stories here. Fair point. I hate to tell you, John um, John McClane did not throw Hans Gruber off the top of the Nakatomi Towers. <laughs> okay, so let's let's tell a story here. So, Maven and Goldust hit each other in, at the same time with the trash can lid, mm. right? Goldust gets knocked to the outside. Maven gets knocked down. And from fucking out of nowhere, Spike Dudley slides in the ring, covers Maven, there's another ref in there, and we have a new hardcore champion. It was 24-7 rule. That was the thing that I think made the hardcore title entertaining, was that that you were going to cost... And I talk about this on on the rundown today as sort of something that's missing in today's current product, is the visual differences, the changes of scenery, the, the things shot in different locations throughout buildings or cities. And that was the one thing that the 24-7 rule did give you, is because you were finding, you were filming shit all throughout the building in random spots where you wouldn't expect to shoot shit, and I thought it made it visually interesting, and I enjoyed it. For the most part, I did enjoy the hardcore title. For this moment, it just seemed weird. I mean... We didn't even get started with Goldust and Maven. We were three minutes in. Did you, uh, need, did you really need more than three minutes for this, though? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, also, out of nowhere, Crash Holly just suddenly appears after Spike wins the title and runs into the crowd. It's well, Crash ch- chasing him first? Yeah, cra- well, Crash was constantly chasing the hardcore title. True. He was a super heavyweight, after all. <laughs> Uh, so Spike Dudley. I, I still think the best was when they went to like the McDonald's Playland with Crash Holly with the hardcore <laughs> I remember that. 
so Spike Dudley, for now, at least at the end of this segment, is your new hardcore champion. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, we then get Lillian Garcia uh, saying, to tell us the story of tonight's undisputed title match, here is Drowning Pool. Which is to say, they played their shitty song over a video highlight package. Yes, a video highlight package focusing on the feud between Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. Oh, and somewhere in that package, occasionally you'll see Jericho. (laughs) (laughs) Um, More on that later, though. I don't get why we're doing Drowning Pool and Saliva in the same night. Um, To be quite honest, it seems like those... Perhaps you're drowning in a pool of saliva. <laughs> uh, to be quite honest, it kind of seems like overkill with the musical performances no, tonight. Overkill wasn't there that night. They were performing somewhere else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, after the nice little performance by Drowning Pool, we go backstage where Crash Holly has caught up with Spike and they are brawling in the back. And then... Talk about things you didn't see coming. (laughs) (laughs) Al Snow in a golf cart with Teddy Long, who's a ref at this point, drives towards Crash and Spike, misses them, and then drives through a wall of boxes. The the facial expression (laughs) on Al Snow as he's driving by, though, is is outstanding. He looked like a little kid on the fucking Matterhorn for the first time. Wee! Is great. Um, I was just, I was just glad that once you had like four people in the scene, Teddy Long didn't turn it into a tag team match. So I was perfectly happy with the way this turned out. That's a good point. Um, however, it's not Al Snow that's going to be attacking new hardcore champion Spike Dudley because Batman. Oh, sorry, the Hurricane swings in from somewhere. Off camera, kind of not, kind of knocks into into Spike and pins him for the title. He kind of looked like he missed him too, but w- whatever. He's it, still it's stealing the title, stealing Brie Bella's offense. <laughs> no, if it was Brie Bella's offense, Spike would have a concussion. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry to that one person who's a Brie Bella fan. <laughs> oh my God! I can, you know what the best part is? Is now everybody's going through her old matches to find every fucking botch. I just found one the other day where they attempted to do like the Hardys move where one's down on all fours and the other one jumps off and Brie goes to jump off Nikki's back and gets like no fucking lift and just goes, takes a fucking header into the corner. It's great. Okay. I laughed. <laughs> a lot. To, to give him credit, new rundown host Jeff, I believe is the first one who coined the phrase Brie trigger. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> That would be me, too. What do you want? Credit for everything? Just the stuff I'm responsible for. Okay. Then Listen, can, we, can we wrap this up? It's it's way after 9.30. I'm a little sleepy. What are you, Adam? Uh, so, as, as we get our new hardcore champion, we then immediately go to the ring for our next match. Now, I really couldn't find out a fucking damn thing about why these two were fighting, but Kurt Angle... Fights Kurt uh, Kane. Yeah, this is where a video package for this one would have clearly been been helpful because they they kept making references 
to like what was it like head trauma yeah so this was clearly part of a storyline that i had i don't remember at all we got no video baggage uh we did get a nice little promo from kurt saying he's the big red and white and blue machine so i thought that was kind of cool um the crowd did the you suck during angles theme song for the first time in wrestlemania history uh and kurt you know my only thing with kurt is he was wwf champion in this timeline probably two months ago maybe three i think it was right before the rumble that he lost it and he could have easily have been that guy representing stephanie mcmahon in the main event not that i have a problem with jericho i'm just saying that kane should not be the the barometer for Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. So I have a little tidbit on that, which I'll save for later. But there, there is some actual behind-the-scenes stuff, at least from the rumor mills about that. Um, but as we get here, I thought this was this was sort of prime Kurt Angle. I think this is when he was actually at his peak as a performer, um, because he was still cutting great promos, but he was also at his peak in the ring too. So you had sort of the confluence. Later on, he would become much more of a character performer than mm-hmm. he was still great in ring, but he he just physically couldn't do it to this level anymore but i think we got that first like that one or two years between last wrestlemania and this one or, or two wrestlemanias ago i think was really when we saw the absolute top top best of kurt angle so it was cool to go back and see that um my favorite line of the night well first off you could also hear kane calling all the spots i think because he's got to talk through the mask he's got to yell it so <laughs> loud that it was just really obvious as i'm watching this like fucking dude all right we get it shit um but my favorite thing i don't know if you caught this i'm listening to this fucking commentary and at one point i shit you not uh kurt angle puts a face lock on a front face lock on kane and jerry lawler says the phrase the front face lock drains you even more when it's put on olympically like kurt angle does it Lawler had some good ones tonight. He did. On, uh, you know, that unolympic, uh, the one that's put on unolympically is just get the fuck out of that thing because it's yeah, totally ineffective. That's, that's completely ineffective. Only olympically, uh, you know, issued headlocks will be allowed. So, uh, before we even discuss that, during the promo, Kurt Angle says something I don't think he could say on TV these days. Where he said, Did he um, say he wants to have bestiality sex with Booker T's wife? Close. Huh. He said, if I want my gold medals like you people want your gold medals, I'd want to shoot myself in the friggin' head. I don't think you can get away with saying that on TV today. Yep. Just th- yep. you know. Josh immediately turned the show off. <laughs> so, nope. <laughs> Also, one of the things that present-day Kurt Angle is missing, and has been missing for a long time, I'm not just going to blame his current run, but when you watch this match, to your point, he was at the top of his game in every aspect, including his intensity, one of his three eyes. Everything he does in this match, he does with just viciousness and precise purpose. That was it, right there. He does it with purpose. And that's the one thing that makes this match, like, good, because mm-hmm. Kane's going to be Kane. Even in 2002, he's pretty standard big guy offense. Um, Kurt, to me, brought it. This That's what made it watchable for me, was Kurt and his intensity. 
Well, and it's funny watching in 2018 how head trauma storylines don't exactly age well, <laughs> given the context of the world we live in now. But, I mean, WWE just won their concussion lawsuit, so fuck it, let's let's run with it. Um, of course, Kane did, did kick out of the Olympic Slam because WrestleMania. Um, <laughs> and the finish to this match, it sort of reminded me of Brie Bella and Maurice at Hell in a Cell. It was a little, like, let's have a little tumbling session on the mat. Ooh, I pinned you. Like, So, the false finish, when Kane chokeslammed Kurt, and Kurt, just at the very last second, grabbed the bottom rope, Yeah, I thought that was done really well. Yeah. Reminded um, me of Kevin Owens with the finger on the rope. Yep, absolutely. And then... As you mentioned, Kane kicked out of the Olympic Slam, and then Kane also broke out of the ankle lock. Mm-hmm. It is WrestleMania. Finishing moves are not nearly as effective on that night. Yeah, they lose 50% of their effectability. So, <laughs> I don't think effectability is a word, but let's roll with it. I, I meant to say effectiveness, <laughs> but that's fine. I knew it as soon as I said it. <laughs> Uh, but then, like you said, they, they roll around, and, and Kurt kind of, sort of, gets his foot on the lower rope as he's pinning him. As we're having this discussion, can I just totally non-sequitur here? Can I just mention that last, last the last episode of Salvation, when you, made this, when you uttered the phrase, he was just entering his forte into commentary, and Adam just like, I don't think that word means what you think it does. I fucking popped for that, so... That was a pretty good spot. <laughs> My favorite thing about listening to this show is listening to the words you mispronounce. It's, it's like your gimmick. It's great. <laughs> well, my gimmick, if my gimmick vaguely remembers the, or vaguely resembles the guy from Brooklyn, then mispronouncing words is definitely a part of that. There you go. <laughs> Not for nothing. But, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't look like the spot went as it was supposed to. Obviously, Kurt was supposed to get his feet on the ropes for extra leverage, but uh, he kind of did. Well, whatever. Mm. He pinned him. That's all that matters. He's just a sexy Kurt. Sexy Kurt! He'll <sighs> make your ankle hurt. All right. Anyway, next up, we go backstage again. See, this is my only problem, and I, and I mentioned this last last time when I was doing the show with Adam is that we're starting to get into that territory where WrestleMania is turning into raw where we have a match and then we have a backstage segment. Then we have a match and then we have an interview segment and then we have a match and then we have more backstage segments, sometimes five in a row. It doesn't need to be the same as a raw or SmackDown episode. It should be a little bit different at WrestleMania in my opinion. So in their defense, as we enter a very heavy um, production-based product at this point. They need more time to switch things. They've got pyro to reorganize. They've got stuff to do with the ring aprons, and different characters have different... I mean, Kane has pyro around the ring posts. There's all sorts of shit they need to do in between things, and these video packages and backstage interviews give them that opportunity time-wise. So while it looks like filler at home, it's actually serving a purpose. It's sort of like if you ever go to a concert... And the performer goes off stage, and then the dancers do a whole little routine while there, there's no actual star there. It's because they're doing a fucking wardrobe change. And they need a couple yeah, it's because it. they. That's get sort that. of what this is. Sort of, but it, you know, they're also incorporating a lot of 
story into their backstage segment. So at least they keep it interesting, at least for this WrestleMania. Um, last year, watching Stephanie talk with her dad for about five minutes was kind of boring. Um, but this year, Hurricane is creeping around the back. He's trying to play a game of oh Escape from Toronto. Yeah. I forgot this. I, I literally remembered this segment as it started happening, and I thought it was on a SmackDown. No way in hell did I think that this segment was on a WrestleMania. But for anybody who didn't see it, he's backstage. He hears somebody talking, or he has a few people start talking, so he hides. He hides behind, you know, one of those things you would see in a dressing room where you can in still the see 60s. your silhouette. But for whatever yes. reason, WWE always has a bunch of them on hand. <laughs> like we're always talking, in like, Sable's locker room or yep. Sonny's or, yeah. We're talking like Austin Powers level of, of out of date here. But yeah. <laughs> Hurricane hides behind it with a broom. And in walks the Godfather's escorts, which, by the way, I didn't realize from last year to this year, he switched back from Goodfather to Godfather. It's a nice little touch. Yeah, they, these were some of the worst hoes I think he ever had, like... These girls, like, I apologize if any of them are listening, but god damn, they look like they fell out of the ugly tree and hit every fucking branch on the way down. I was going to say, they were a little bit busted. They were definitely busted. Um, Yet, of course, you know, Hurricane being a horror perv is still kind of looking at them. Uh, That line later on popped me. (laughs) To the point where he is behind the, the silhouette and his broomstick starts lifting up in a suggestive manner to which jerry lawler quickly says wow he really does have superpowers <laughs> and then and then godfather runs back there and he's like hey what's going on here and he grabs the broomstick so there's that visual <laughs> and then hurricane escapes through the front and runs away and all the escorts are are frightened that there was a guy in their dressing room i guess but he yeah, was a superhero, so I think hose, okay. hose are often upset at the notion of a dude seeing them in their bra. That's, <laughs> they're usually very discriminating about who sees them. Hose. Well, especially if the guy hasn't paid anything. Pimps <laughs> and hose. I've never seen... Well, I'm not going to go there. But you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, it's just not really a personality trait that... that Women of the night, such as those, would uh, display. I think. I like how you described him as women of the night. <laughs> Two dollars sluts from Bennigan's would have been a better description <laughs> of these girls. But anyway, good. Say shenanigans one more time. We get a great, and I mean a fucking great, video package showing us the violent personal feud. Between Ric Flair and The Undertaker. Yeah, this was great. And, you know, we we joked about Biker Taker a few times, but I will say that Taker was so fucking vicious at this point. And just just evil, like that's you know big evil, the nickname. See, and this is why I, to this day, will maintain, I think, Biker Taker was the best version of Taker. He was allowed to sort of display more personality and more relatable human qualities. Um, when he's supernatural Taker, he's he, there's no relatability there. He can't sort of 
interact with you or relate to you in a way that you can understand. And when he is biker taker, he can be an asshole, but there's some connection there that you can make to that character, whether you're an asshole too, or you've got, you know, people who are assholes. There's a parallel to your life. You can draw which I think always makes the character better. See, that's what I don't get. I'm going back and I, you know, watching the old raws from uh, the ad- the raw attitude podcast timeline, and and they just started with the um, the WrestleMania 15 taker, you know the the Dark Lord taker, the one with the robe, and that this type of violence that Biker Taker shows here in this promo package is what that taker should have been. Yeah, but you know, this, but but because this had a human quality to it. It made it more believable, which made it more impactful. True. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, and you felt it. You felt it when he attacked Arn Anderson, Flair's best friend. You felt it when he jumped David Flair at what looked like the Performance Center, even though oh, it was okay. ten years before it opened. Oh my God! See, that was what I have that in my notes. I'm an old school wrestling nerd. That was the fucking tracks facility that they showed on the first couple seasons of Tough Enough with uh, uh, okay. John Gaborik and all the kids from the from the first season of Tough Enough. That was the tracks facility by the training site, the train tracks up in uh, Connecticut that they used to train at. Oh, that's funny. So like you knew exactly like yeah. which one. Not yeah. that just that's I crazy. fucking popped for that shit. I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> one more thing. So as part of this video package, and I don't know if you caught this, uh, they show that – so there, well, there's a couple parts to this. They show that the board of directors has removed Ric Flair from power because he accidentally hit a fan uh, during this battle with The Undertaker. Now, I'm assuming that they must have missed when both Vince and Linda were involved in an angle that included making a half-naked woman bark like a dog last year. That didn't embarrass them, but this was last straw. They had to take Ric Flair out of power. But that's not even the interesting part. Uh, did you catch the who the fan was that that Undertaker hit, that uh, Ric Flair hit? I I saw him in the video package. I did not recognize him as anybody. Oh, that is future WWE superstar Paul London. Ah, uh, okay. God, only about a year or two, maybe three tops removed from when he does. Uh, Pierre in the WWE? That's crazy. I did not realize that was Paul London. Um, what I found almost as interesting, if not more interesting, was Linda asks Ric Flair during the board meeting, Rick, do you really intend on going through with this match? To which he says, and by the way, Flair looks good at this point. I don't know if he had like some work done on his face or whatever, but he looked better than he did his last year in WCW. Just saying. So Linda asks Flair, do you really want to go through with this match? And he's like, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. And she does a classic, like, Linda triple take. She's like, well, then you then you leave me with no choice. I assume she I was have- in the middle of a software <laughs> malfunction. <laughs> Doesn't look like anything to me. Uh-huh. Troy will get that. But, and then... Flair says to Vince, I will do everything in my power to get revenge on the Undertaker. What is what is the line he used? I will I will go I will you know, get revenge at any cost. And then he says to myself personally. <laughs> well, I mean his best friend and his son had already gotten their asses kicked, so it sort of makes sense. 
And then Vince, in his spitefulness, makes this a no DQ match. Yep. Which is great, except for then I would have had it go further, but, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I thought this match was was pretty good. I want to say it was great. I think that word's definitely beat to death. I thought it was good. I thought it told a really good story. Flair is doing everything to extract his revenge, although, you know, he kind of gets dominated a lot here. And obviously, he's he's fighting from underneath. That's the gimmick. But uh, he's bleeding within, like, the first two minutes. Well, you get Rick that. Flair. Yeah, you get it, which is, you know, ironic that the last time you were on this podcast, he was wearing the red trunks with the red boots and a face full of blood. Yep. And tonight, red trunks, red boots, face full of blood. I feel like we could make that at pretty much most Ric Flair matches, but... Well, sometimes it's black trunks. But... <laughs> um, Flair doing everything he possibly can, yet still getting dominated for the most part. Uh, I like the fact that during the match, Lawler cannot get off the question of what is a booger red. Yeah. Like, he just won't let uh, Ross continue. He's like, no, no. Oh, I get it. Ric Flair's booger red. Like, he just he won't let it go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I popped huge for the Arn Anderson spot. Yeah. I think everybody in the building did, you know, and I actually thought maybe that could have been the finish, but that's my only problem is I is if you're gonna do that spot with fifty something year old Arn Anderson, then send everybody down, <laughs> go give Barry Windham a payday, go find Lex Luger, you know. <laughs> Can we make Barry Windham dress up like Sting though? That was still my favorite. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, I, of course I have in my notes here, Biker Taker is still the best taker, and I fucking stand by that, and I will debate anyone to the death with that one. Um, I, one of the things, just little things, you talk about little things all the time uh, and how they can sort of set things off. The fact that they started off this match like they wanted to fucking kill each other with a huge brawl, I think, really sold that tone. Um, too many times we see these blood feuds, and then the matches start with a collar and elbow tie-up. And I'm like, what the fuck? Then None of that shit here. This was two old pros who knew how to sell a fucking storyline of hating somebody. Um, nobody in the business has ever sold offense better than Ric Flair or Shawn Michaels. Those two are the gold standard, and there's a reason they're regarded as the greatest in-ring performers of all time, because they got everyone else's shit over. No doubt about that. Um, at one point, Flair missed the up and over, and it looked fucking painful the way he yes. landed. Yes, um, they say would reset and then hit the same move a moment later, which I always hate when they do that. I understand they need to get to their next spot, find another fucking way to get there, because just redoing the same spot, especially at WrestleMania, I think is never a good look. Um, I have Flair bleeding because Flair. Um, <laughs> there was one spot where there was a, like a blood spatter on the camera too, which I thought was just sort of a nice accidental little touch to add to how physical and violent and how much these guys hated each other. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of the violence, not to cut you off, but in the beginning of the match, uh, Taker gets a cut on his cheek and, as I mentioned, Flair gets busted wide open. And Jim Ross is like, you know, Ric Flair bleeding like a stuck pig. And Jerry Lawler's like, well, well, Taker's bleeding too. <laughs> and Jim Ross could not sound more annoyed. He's like, really? You're going to compare the fucking scratch on his cheek to, to Flair, whose half his face is gone? <laughs> 
Yeah, he did. He did have one on his forehead, and I think that was where the where the spot on his cheek actually came from. And it did start opening up a little bit later on in the match. Uh, I guess he was able to squeeze out a little blood later on. I don't know. Um, <laughs> my, I, I I occasionally am still a uh, teenager, so when Jr. said the line "Undertaker got jerked off the top rope," I laughed. <laughs> uh, I laughed too. <laughs> there was one spot where Taker got a two count and yelled audibly, yelled "fuck." Yeah, that was great. That stood out to me. Uh, I was like, "Oh, there's your fucking big evil for you." Arn Anderson's Spinebuster still the best ever. Um, why the yeah, f- it was fucking great, but I was like, "That was great." The only the only person that does it nearly as well that I've seen is Bobby Roode. Bobby Roode. I is thought you were gonna great. say Triple H. No, nah, Bobby Roode's is way better. Bobby you Roode's don't like rem- Triple H's. Triple fine H buster? is good, but Bobby Roode's reminds me of Arn Anderson. Fair enough. Um, Undertaker clearly has the worst motorcycle ever. Is basically just touch it and parts fall off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can you explain to me why, if you want to cheat, you need to take out the ref in a no DQ match? That struck me as weird. Like, I don't know. Let the fucking ref see me hit him with the pipe. What the fuck's he going to do? It's an ODQ match. Exactly. Like, I don't know shit. Uh, I love the finish that they missed the powerbomb spot twice, just went to the fucking tombstone, and it looked worse than fucking Owen Hart and Stone Cold. Like, it looked like fucking he was paralyzed after that. His head hit right at the top. It looked like... He, all right, so let, let's talk about that. that for a second. First of all, to get there, Flair hits Taker with some of the weakest chair shots I've ever seen Ric Flair throw. I don't know if it's because he was in the WWF and he, he thought maybe I have to hold back, but it was just like, dude, put some fucking oomph into it. And then they look like they're going for the last ride, which was Taker's finish at the time. And for whatever reason, those two just couldn't get on the same page for it. So Taker goes, fuck it, picks him up, and I'm like, oh my god, he just fucking spiked him right in his head. Yep. <laughs> it's like... Damn. Yeah, that was a nasty-looking one. Um, and from the backstage stuff, this match actually was requested by The Undertaker. He wanted. They went to him and said, who do you want at Mania this year? He said, I want Flair. Flair at the time obviously wasn't an active participant and didn't really want to do it, and it was only out of respect for the ta- for Taker that he agreed to do it, um, but he, he didn't want to, and ultimately they were able to talk him into it. So. I'm glad he did. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a war. I liked the personal aspects they brought into it. I don't know what the fuck Taker had to assault Charles Robinson after the match for. That didn't seem very nice, but I guess it fits into his character. Well, I mean, he was little Nate, so maybe <laughs> that's, he just... that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stiffed him one. Um, afterwards, Taker then counting on his fingers, ten holds up the ten. Which, at this point, you can classify as a streak? Well, they did make a point as he was entering that this man has never lost at WrestleMania. He's 9-0. I brought it up with the episode with Adam. That's when they first, I think, brought it up. Was it 17? For one period of, or one moment in that match. They beat you over the head with it tonight. So, you know, and they, they made have it a, ever since. Well, that's the thing is... is they didn't use the word streak, but they definitely said undefeated, 10-0, and 0, you know, the whole nine. Hey, it's a great think, accomplishment. And up until um, the match in at the Citrus Bowl, uh, Edge was also undefeated 
at WrestleMania until it was when it was him and Taker. It was undefeated versus undefeated at WrestleMania, I believe. No, and you're right. We never heard shit about Edge's undefeated streak until then. Nope. But my biggest concern, and a lot of people don't agree with me on this, is I don't mind that you start mentioning the streak. I think the perfect end to the streak would have been against Randy Orton because you would have just established him as the legend killer, and he was, what, at that point, 21 years old? Yeah, something like that. Like To me, the story that they were telling leading into that match, it storyline, it would have made sense. After that, nobody else really would have made sense. Like, Mark Henry wouldn't have made sense. CM Punk would have. Yeah, because Much as of, I dislike CM Punk, as everyone knows, that that was the one where I thought they should have done it. But like Sean, even as much as I love the match with Sean, did that really make sense that Sean Michaels would end the streak or Triple H? No, like none of that. That's why I didn't think Brock needed it either. But it worked for what they were gonna do with Brock, I guess. But you could have ended it. You can't. You know, you could have ended it against Randy Orton. I don't think anybody would have thrown a flag. He would have been what? Now you're stealing the guy's phrases, too. Jesus. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, backstage, we get pretty boy Michael Cole, because that's his gimmick. That's his gimmick at this point. Yeah. And uh, basically calls Booker T a dumbass to his face. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I was a little uncomfortable that the whole point... Of this was that we had an angle where we make a point of calling the black guy dumb. I was a little uncomfortable. And then making him look dumb. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was although, a uncomfortable. Although I did pop when he was like um, Einstein's theory of relatives and Cole corrects him and says, you mean relative? relative- of course <laughs> you fucking popped for no, that. No, no, That's no, the no. type of shit you say on the rundown on a regular basis, dude. I didn't pop for him correcting Booker T. I popped when Booker T was like, he had two theories. <laughs> it was exuberating how he went through that shit. Was- Listen, I'm not the one posting cartoon pictures of a guy with maracas and a sombrero in the host thread. All right there, buddy? I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, uh, so this is so (laughs) this is one of the better matches on this card in terms of the the talent involved in the match, Um, especially sort of entering both entering their real primes. Uh, But the structure of this match was that they were fighting over a Japanese shampoo commercial. And it always struck me as a really fucking, like we've seen some bad angles before in the past, but this was one of the dumbest ever. Um, And it wasn't until years later, I found out that it was originally supposed to be hair versus hair. And Booker had just sort of gotten his hair grown out to where he was comfortable with it and refused to sort of shave it off because he was going under in this one. Um, so oh, that, my God. Hair versus hair would have made so much more sense. That's what they were building it towards. And then Booker sort of said, no, nah, I really don't want to do that. See, uh, I I actually wrote down here shampoo, shampoo endorsement on a pole match. <laughs> Put yeah. the contract up there. Yeah. No, but it was, it was supposed to be hair versus hair. And then instead... They held off and did it with Kurt Angle not long after this. Ah, yes, 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 you're right. Um, and, then, and then that led to the hilarity of Kurt Angle with the headgear and the yeah. toupee. Yes. So, 
I'm kind of glad that played out the way it did. But no, but hair versus hair would have made so much more sense. Yeah, and that's what they were building it towards, and you can tell sort of in the way they built the story. Um, and it would have made much more sense then. So, anyway. Uh, but uh, were you surprised, because uh, I was, uh, when Edge came out and they still had the, Ro- the um, Rob Zombie song playing for him? I think it's the same thing as the Limp Bizkit song. I think they just bought the rights back then. And but if this, they had, it's not like they wrote the song specifically for WWE. It was a song on one of his albums. So so was Roland. Yeah. You know that's which I, that's, which I agree with you. Limp Bizkit is is was actually not bad. Right. So um, I actually like this Rob Zombie song. I, this is I one loved of my, it. I, this is one of my favorite entrance themes yeah. Edge ever had. I love the Altered Bridge song, but this one is probably my favorite. Yeah, I agree with you, and it's. Kind of a shame that Babyface Edge really didn't work like I thought he could have. Like, I was always thinking back then at this point that Edge was ready to break out. I think he could have been Hulk Hogan if they had had really pushed him that way. Pretty boy, long blonde hair, perfect smile. Yeah, he absolutely could have been the poster boy for for the next sort of generation Hulk Hogan if done right. I don't think they wanted that, though. Or maybe they didn't see it. Maybe Vince didn't see it, you know? Certainly didn't hold him back. Um, how many times can JR bring up the fact that Edge sat in the front in the sixth row at WrestleMania six? It's called backstory, man. They did the same thing with DDP. That's all he's doing. Uh, As an announcer, sometimes you have to fill time, and interesting facts like that are are useful. True. I do like the fact that both him and Lawler are making fun of the fact that this was over a shampoo endorsement deal. Like they, they do constantly bring that up during the match. They were just like shampoo, really. Um, <laughs> Which is funny because Lawler, of course, playing his heel role is like, well, nobody nobody wants Edge's greasy hair. And it just reminded me when he used to talk about Bret Hart. <laughs> also, Teddy Long, referee for this match, didn't make it a tag team match. So he apparently wasn't in his prime form yet. That took a couple of years later. Teddy Long got out from underneath all those boxes that it fell upon him. Those <laughs> in the cardboard back. boxes didn't do nearly as much damage as they looked like they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Do you like how they built that wall of cardboard boxes that was legit a fucking wall just for Al Snow to drive through it? Like, I wonder how much time that took out of somebody's day. Like, <laughs> like five hours just sitting there. Like, you show up, you're all excited. It's fucking you're a WWE employee. It's fucking WrestleMania day. You're like, shit. What am I? Am I going to be like escorting an Undertaker around the building and keep it? Like, fuck. Am I? Gonna, all right, uh, we need you to build a wall of cardboard boxes. Fuck. <laughs> What's going to happen at this wall? Is it going to be something epic? Uh, somebody's going to drive through it. <laughs> All right. Well, is it going to be like the fucking? Are they going to drive a fight like Undertaker and Flair? They're going to drive a motorcycle through. No, Al Snow in a golf cart. <laughs> well, Jesus Christ, that's the worst thing ever. Well, yeah. actually, Teddy Long's going to be in there with him. Fuck, I quit. <laughs> um. Okay, you brought this up earlier, and this is actually, to be fair. The first time I really noticed this at WrestleMania, uh, Booker T hits the axe kick, Edge kicks out. Mm-hmm. Edge hits the execution, Booker T kicks out. Mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, other than like top tippity top main events of WrestleMania, this was not a thing where everybody kicked out of everybody's finisher in every match. Yeah, no, and and it sort of went on from here and got it's gotten significantly worse now to the point where. No WrestleMania match ends until somebody's until you hit a second finisher because they've always kicked out of the first one. So, yeah, not good. Brock, Brock gave how many F5s to Roman? Seven? Something like that, Six? yeah. 
six or seven. Yeah. Um, but Edge gets the win with the glorious DDT. So I, I did like that uh, Jr. mentioned the the they were both on the WWE edition of the Weakest Link because I remember that fucking shit and I thought that was great. Uh, I think I might still have that episode on VHS somewhere in my fucking basement. But, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember that one. I love that one. That Who was else great. was on the episode? I don't remember. Uh, Big Show was there. Uh, Kane was there. Hunter, Stephanie. Um, was this the show hosted by Regis? No, that was uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. This was I like that, the really but... weird like English lady who was like, you all the weakest thing. Goodbye. Oh, I remember. Off. Okay. All right. Now yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was that one. Um but yeah, this was uh, at one point. Um, Booker T goes to they, they go to the top rope Rana spot, and mm-hmm. Booker's feet oh. get stuck. So Edge goes over, and Booker just lands straight down on top of him. Um, so yeah, that was... I was going to talk to you about that spot because I didn't realize that Booker T's feet got stuck. I thought Edge went too soon, and Booker wasn't ready, so he jumped late. No, I, I went back and double-checked it, and you can see his feet just get stuck. Like, he he's, gets caught up there. It was Yeah, so then he, he front flips, but, yeah, like you said, lands on edge really awkwardly. That spot, yeah. like, kind of made me cringe. Like, yeah. oh, fuck. <laughs> there was a sequence at one point, too, where um, Edge went for the spear. Booker T did a great job leapfrogging over it. Uh, Edge comes back, turns around, and eats a crescent kick from Booker T. It was just a really nice sequence watching it. Very, very smooth, very well executed. Uh, JR says he did the spinneroony on his back porch, and I want to see that shit. Um, Lala wants to see it too. (laughs) Yep, definitely want to see that. That was, that sounds like it would be very, very entertaining. Um, but yeah. I didn't like, I didn't like Edge trying to do the spinneroony. It looked horrible. Well, it always did whenever anyone else did it. Um, but I did love the sequence of reversals and everything before we finally got to the finish. I like that. The, those two showed a lot of like chemistry for two guys yeah. that had never been in the ring. This was probably one of the best matches with the worst build in WrestleMania history. Like they Once they got out in the ring and they were able to just perform, they did a great job. Now, they were in a shit spot on the card trying to follow Flair and Taker. Yeah. Um, and they had a shit storyline, but if you if you just isolate this match from everything else and just watch this match, this was a really good match. No, it definitely was. And I think this match showed us that Edge was, like you said, definitely one of the up-and-coming superstars at this point that was destined for big things. Um, I don't think, personally, or I didn't think at the time, that it would be a heel turn, but... Everybody's career tra- trajectory goes different ways sometimes. So, uh, and Booker, Booker would end up being pretty top guy status in WWF for a little while. Oh, dude, I don't know, dude. King Booker was one of the best things they've ever. Done. I loved King Booker. I don't know if anybody else did. I thought it was great. Booker was absolutely the top of his perform as a performer, as a character. King Booker was was next level shit. But my my issue with Booker, and we'll get to it more in next year's WrestleMania, is I thought, again, sticking with the character he had, he had the ability to and the overness to be champ. You know, but well, and he was eventually. Just not when the iron was the hottest. But well, I mean, you know, people like him don't win championships, <laughs> right? Isn't that what we've, we're taught? And That's then, what Triple H told us. And then it was verified. 
And then it was verified. That's correct. But you'll get to that later. Yes. (laughs) Uh, We go backstage again to where Coach uh, hunts down the Hurricane to question the Hurricane's integrity. And I did like that Hurricane was, like, skeptical that Coach was going to try to steal the hardcore title. I thought that was a nice touch. Well, did you hear J.R.J.? Don't trust him. (laughs) Um, You know, Hurricane says that he is not a horror perv. Which I did pop for, I think I mentioned earlier. Yes, he is the horror hardcore champion. And uh, camera pans out, and Molly Holly's standing next to him. Who was his sidekick at the time? It was Mighty Molly. Mighty Molly, clearly... She had a big ass. I don't know if you knew this, but she big ass, big dumper on that girl. Yes. Um, <laughs> clearly, with the frying pan behind her back, like clearly, says to Hurricane, quick, to the horror And he says, and how? And he turns his back on her, he points to the sky, and she fucking levels him in the back of the head with a frying pan. Comedy. <laughs> hey. What a cunt. <laughs> No, I just did that one for Troy. Uh, yeah. Hey, new new hardcore champion, Mighty Molly. Yes, I'm sure. I've heard stories about her getting hardcore in the back. So, oh, oh. Uh, what did you think of that segment? Was, again, this this title was comedic relief. It was right, a, right. A, a time filler between matches, and I thought for purposes of I again I I'm not I'm I'm sort of an old school guy, but I. I enjoyed the 24-7 rule. I always sort of thought it led to interesting TV. I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought just, of all the segments they did with the hardcore title, this was the funniest. Oh, I think the, I think the next one was my favorite, though. Mm, all right, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, we go to a video package of Scott Hall versus Steve Austin. Now, the worst thing, in my <laughs> opinion... This, should I just sit back and grab my popcorn on this one? <laughs> no, I'm going to need your input. But the the worst thing I think you could do when you're introducing the NWO into the WWF is to make them look stupid. Because one of the reasons the NWO worked when they first came into WCW is that nobody could get one over on them. They ran through everybody, and they were always a step ahead of WCW. So within... A few weeks of the NWO debuting, Steve Austin has captured Scott Hall and has duct tape over his mouth and has him taped to a chair. Are you fucking kidding me? Goddamn, pal. We can't have these WCW guys going over our guys. What the fuck does that say about WWE? Then Hall's going to get his revenge by taking a cinder block and crushing it off of Austin's knee... But it's a cinder block, so it just disintegrates into fucking powder, right? Because that's how physics works. Well, I mean, the, the Hulk Hogan did drive a semi-tractor trailer into an ambulance with a rock in it, too, so... I know. Yeah, shit happens. Um, so, you talked a little bit earlier about how the match with with Hunter and Jericho later would have been better served with some, some with somebody else in it. Right. Um, and that's sort of where I said that... I have a little bit for you on that later and it sort of fits in here so we'll drop it here um originally the main event for this wrestlemania was going to be triple h versus the heel stone cold for the title um of course playing upon the storyline that when triple h got hurt it screwed up the two-man power trip austin would blame him for that um but austin so hated being a heel that they he demanded that they changed him face 
and the whole plan for the show had to be changed, and that's sort of why I think we see Austin in sort of a throwaway mid-card match on the biggest show of the year, because he was slated for the main event and basically decided he wanted to go through with it. Steve Austin, by his own admission, was not in a good place mentally this year, in the year 2002. Um, So not only did he decide to nix their ideas for a heel Austin versus a face Triple H, but he was also very vocal about not wanting to fight Scott Hall either. Um, From a podcast that I know you're familiar with called Something to Wrestle, with Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard stated Vince was uncertain about even bringing the NWO back to the point where they had a vote in a production meeting Mm -hmm. and they were unanimously voted against being brought back. And then Vince decided the allure of having Hogan back in the WWF was too intriguing to pass up. So he brought him back anyway. Well, and they refused to come in individually. (laughs) They, They would only come in as a package deal. Right. Um, and it's it's so weird because I get it. I'd want to have Hogan back too, given what he means to the company at this point in 2002. But you know, everybody was right about Scott Hall, and, well, and to be honest, Kevin Nash. So well, and to be fair, you notice Nash doesn't have a match on this show. Supposedly, that's he was held off from having a match, so that in the event that Scott Hall showed up that day in no condition to wrestle. They could mm-hmm. plug Nash into the match, right? Which would have been an easy uh, substitution, right? But that's how much they trusted Scott Hall, right? To the point where Austin has also gone on to say that, or at least that there was rumors that Austin was trying to say to Vince, "Hey, this guy's not even going to be able to get across the border with his, you know, history." Um, and Vince assured him, "Don't worry, he'll get across the border." So. It's been well documented that Austin didn't want to work this feud, didn't want to work this match, thought he was way above fighting Scott Hall at WrestleMania. And it reflected in the match, in my opinion. This match sucked. Uh, well, of course, you're also sort of glossing over the uh, the guy who is in alcohol recovery, Stone Cold, uh, in, in Scott Hall. Uh, they wrote an angle where Austin would pour beer all over him. <laughs> that's um, true that's another famous moment from the Pritchard podcast you mentioned where sort of Conrad his, his co-host goes at him and his take on it as well if you don't want to do it you, just, you don't have to have work there you can quit your job and uh, that was quite a bit of uh, controversy with that one but yeah I, for years it's been sort of debated in really poor taste and I think I, if I'm not mistaken the story is he was on one of those pills that makes you physically violently ill when you uh, come in contact with alcohol as sort of a way to try to force you to quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he became physically very ill during that segment where they poured alcohol over him. Oh, I'm not surprised. And he was he was chained up at the time, so he couldn't even like let everyone know and get free and go to the bathroom. And yeah, wonderful. Because Vince gonna Vince. Pour it down his throat. Um. If he doesn't like it, tell him to go back to WCW. Oh, it doesn't exist anymore. Fuck him. Yeah. Fuck him. He screwed me over in 96. So, uh, yeah. There was Vindic- one thing about this match that made me happy, though. What? <laughs> when I saw Tim White was the referee. 
Oh, Jesus. I love Tim um, White. Tim White was great. You know, so, okay, so not only did these two not have any chemistry, but these two, like, when they did sell, they oversold the shit out of everything. And it was awful. It was the best. Uh, uh, no, nobody took the stunner better than Hall did in this one. Well, we'll get great. to that. But even when, when Hall was, like, doing his classic, like, punches, and then he'd turn around and do, like, the, the punch, yeah. uh, Austin selling it like he got shot. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm like, okay, I get it. Austin doesn't uh, want to be in this match. Well, to be fair, the other side to that is that when it's known uh, by the office in particular that you don't want to work with a guy, but you're out there with him anyway, especially in a high-profile situation. I think there's a natural inclination to sort of oversell a little bit so that nobody can make the case that you were sandbagging or underselling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's you, you want to do your best to try to make everything that guy does look great so that there's no question that you weren't given 100% out there. Yeah. Look, see, I'm really selling. <laughs> really, really. Like HBK and Hogan in 2005. Um, Was it just me? Or did, did Kevin Nash take really uncomfortable amount of time to come out when when Hall did the point back? Yeah, dude, Hall pointed like five times, <laughs> and Jr. was like, "Why? Why the fuck is he pointing?" Like, and then like finally you see Nash walk yeah. into the shot, and I'm like. Okay, really? What are you I, pissed off? You don't have a match too? Uh, Every no, fucking buddy's got an agenda in this fucking match. I'm pretty sure he was getting a blowjob from Stacy Keebler. Hopefully. Um, did you ever enjoy them turning the whole screen black and white during the NWO's entrance? Because I didn't. Yeah, I thought it was kind of different and cool. And like again, I'm I'm a visual th- guy, so no, I get that. But the live crowd's not seeing a black and white screen. <laughs> I'm not at the live crowd when I'm watching it, so I never shit. Visually on television, it was an, it was inter- interesting. Also, when Nash comes out, they cut back to the color camera yeah, that was with weird. Austin. Doesn't. And he act- and he swore on TV. Did you, did you yeah. see? What he- oh, yeah. It's like the fuck is that? Right. Um. Yeah, this match, I don't know. I just didn't... The crowd was really fucking quiet for a Stone Cold match. I did notice that. Yeah. Um, you, you did see that. Um, I See, I put down here that I thought Scott Hall's selling was great. I thought he was doing his best to try to get Austin over. And again, another case of a guy, hey, I know you told me you didn't want to work with me on this, but I'm right. going to get your shit over. I'm going to oversell and get your shit over. Um I thought I, I actually enjoyed Scott Hall's selling in this one. I definitely see what you're saying about maybe a little bit of overselling, but I think it some in a weird way sort of worked. Well, the fucking shotgun stunner sell, like where you you get you yeah. know hit know. and then jump back fifty feet, kind of defies the logic of physics. But <laughs> um, my bigger issue was the agent who booked this match because Kevin Nash grabs a referee and just knocks him out cold, right? That's yeah. the first ref. And then another ref comes down, and before he can count three, Nash just elbow drops him on the back of his head. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? okay, like I, I kind of get it. You can't disqualify somebody if you're knocked out cold, but then Tim White gets up at some point. So... Shouldn't that be a disqualification? One would think. Uh, and to your point of Austin being unhappy, um, f- some people may not know this, because he, he did have a famous walk-off years later with the Brock Lesnar thing uh, that's fairly well documented, or, or months later, I forget what the time I was going to say, I was going to surprise you, buddy. It wasn't years. Yeah. 
We're uh, talking four months from now. He walked out of the company for two weeks after this show too. If you go yep. back, he was not on Raw for the next two weeks. He was he was refusing to come to work during that stretch. So he was very very unhappy. He was not happy with the placement of his match on the card. Obviously, he no showed, and then he said he was burnt out. Um, but people were saying that it wasn't just his spot on the card or his knee or his neck that was the problem. A lot of people were saying he was having a pill problem at this point. So it's entirely possible. I think this is when he was going through his divorce, and I think his kids had just gotten taken back to London by uh, Jeannie, and there was a lot of shit going on with Austin right now in, in yeah. his personal life. So yeah. Um. <clears throat> so now, now we will get the answer to your question. With the next Wait. segment. Oh, well, be, no. before we get to the next segment, for some reason, a gaggle of referees decide to make Kevin Nash leave the ring. Why didn't he just beat them up? He already beat up two of them. Um, huh. And then, you know, as we mentioned, uh, Hall hits Austin with a stunner, which I thought was kind of nice. Yeah. Should have beat him with it. but <laughs> No no razor's edge, I can only assume, because Austin's neck. They didn't want to do that spot. Right, right. And uh, Austin hits Hall three. with, like, two or three, three. stunners. Three it was stunners, it yeah. was one initially, yeah. and then two in a row yeah. to finish it off. Uh, and then we get a huge, huge beer bash. Well, we go through about 12 beers in, in 10 seconds. Nobody throws a beer better than Mark Eaton, though. Um. You know what's fucked up? This was, for all intents and purposes, the end of the Austin era. Because, like you said, after this, he leaves for two weeks. He no shows twice, you know, two two raws in a row. Well, he then, did have the other. He did have, he did main event mania again with the Rock. So I I but like he wasn't anywhere near as, as present. You know what though? Did I could make a case that Austin during the Alliance was some of the most entertaining shit he did in his entire career. I'm glad you can make that case because Austin himself has said that he doesn't remember half of the shit that he did with the Alliance. That, that, that's fine, but the point is I, I think that was some of the best shit of his career in terms of, of character work. So um, I would I would far from say this was the end of the run. It was definitely the end of sort of the, the character as Stone Cold as it was presented to this point, but like with anything great in the wrestling business, it evolved and changed into something equally as good. Well, the alliance was before this match. You do you do realize that, right? Was it before this? Yeah, it was yeah. right after X Seven. Oh, okay. So so that's my thing. Is okay, that after enough. this, my timeline's um, all fucked up. Short, yeah. you know, shortly after this, he he gets into a feud with Ric Flair, where he pisses on Arn Anderson. It's a whole other story. And then a couple Golden months after showers. <laughs> And then a couple months after that, we get the Brock Lesnar thing, and then he leaves. He yeah. leaves the company for right. a good six, seven months. Yeah. Um. You know, he kind of shows up again, and they do business with The Rock at WrestleMania 19, which is great. But yeah, man, this is this is you know a big change in the landscape where you were not seeing Austin prominently featured in storylines anymore. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, we get a shot of one of the more fun aspects of WrestleMania weekend access. Yes. And now here's the answer to your question, because there were several different spots here where they had video of Taz calling matches with fans at access. Yes. No, I did see that. So that he is, was there. True. And all I could think of while I'm watching those is after like, that might've been why Taz quit 
They made him sit there for an entire fucking day and call matches with a bunch of marks. I'm pretty sure Taz is like, fuck you and your job. I'm out of here. Um, I did find it a little weird as they go through those video packages that all Austin, Taker, Triple H, they all had their crowd interaction shots at a table, like an autograph signing table, but The Rock got his in front of everybody in the center of a ring with a like huge crowd around him. Like, it really showed me who the, the spotlight persona in, in the, the company's mind at that point was. Oh, he was the one getting ready to make movies, so... Uh... But the highlight of this package was something I don't think that they have at access anymore. I severely doubt that they have at access. <laughs> is a statue of Stacy Keebler's legs and ass. And then they interview Stacy about the statue, and she's like, it's kind of weird where the guys are putting their hands and taking the picture next to this. Yeah, that's a little creepy. <laughs> Let's pay, let's pay pay no attention to that thing behind the curtain in my room. Okay. <laughs> there may or may not have been an auction. Let's not talk about it anymore. <gasps> Got it. So that's where the statue went after all these years. <laughs> a couple modifications here or there, you know. Hey, I'm not whoa. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm not blaming any of those fans at Access because I would have done the exact same thing had I been next to that statue. I mean, I'm not going to say a fleshlight would have been much cheaper, but... Yeah. yeah, probably. And less painful, but like you said, you made modifications. You so. have to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, hey, you got to appreciate their their. Good commitment. luck trying to get the video of me fucking that statue out of your head, like the mental image out of your head. Well, now day. it's in my head, but... <laughs> Um, you got to give the WWF credit. She's a because perfect woman, though. Beautiful ass, great legs. No mouth. Talk, <laughs> talk, yeah. um, that's what I was going to say. you got to give them credit for the exact detail of which they constructed this statue. You know, the only 40- thing that could have been better is if they had a picture of like the hurricane sneaking around looking at it being a horror perv. <laughs> <laughs> that, that definitely would have made it. Um, next up, it is our tag team title match. You know, I totally forgot this match ever happened, to be honest. So, so two years ago, we had our groundbreaking triangle ladder match between the Dudleys and the Hardys and Edge and Christian. Last year, we get TLC with the Hardys and Edge and Christian and the Dudleys, and every year we've topped the previous. So this year, instead of three teams, we're going to have four teams, and instead of Edge and Christian, we're going to have Billy and Chuck. Well, I mean, Edge and Christian weren't a team anymore, so. Yeah, Billy and Chuck was a poor substitute. Also, I see. APA, I'm going to disagree with you there. Go ahead. Also, the APA were in this match for about two and a half minutes. But to be fair, I mean, when they were in there for the whole opening three minutes, you knew they were going to be the first ones out. They were get they were sure. get, they were going to be given enough time to get their shit in, and they were going to be the first ones out. Um, I'm very disappointed. Because back at WrestleMania 14 or 15... You think you're disappointed? Do you have any idea how much I paid for this fucking statue? (laughs) What's the disappointment come from? Let's just say the modifications didn't always go smoothly. (laughs) Um, I was convinced that we would get... You ever stick your dick down the kitchen sink? I'm just saying. No. Um, I was convinced we would get Mr. Ass at a WrestleMania at some point. And we never did. I'm an ass man. We did it. Instead, 
the year that it would have been that, he was hurt, so he didn't fight. And then now we're to the one Billy Gunn. This is bullshit. <laughs> I didn't want the one. And they're still calling him the one Billy Gunn. That angle lasted for like two weeks. Why is JR still calling him the one Billy Gunn at this point? It could have been worse. We could have got Rockabilly. <sighs> Where's Rico also? Did they not have Rico as their manager at this know. point? I don't know where he was at this point. Um, I will say this. Um, well, you, you sort of... I, well, are you going to cover the entrances here? Or? Oh, no, please do. Okay. Um, we had the live Dudley Boys theme song to get the table song performed by, you guessed it, Saliva. Um, yes, and I said that Saliva is uh, trying to show Stacy their forcible entry. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> her dancing with that. That was one of the hottest fucking things on this entire show. Well, Stacy is one of the hottest. Actually, no, you're wrong. You're dead wrong because one of the hottest things on the show happens in this match. We'll get there. Well, that too. Oh, and it ha- <laughs> there's another thing later. But this, yeah, no, she was, as she's just like shaking, like, just fucking amazing. Stacy was amazing. Um, very true. Yeah, so we, we glossed over it. We forgot to mention that at this point, the WWF released an album and they're promoting the shit out of it called Forcible Entry. So for all you assholes out there that think that the rundown was the one that came up with the forced anal concept. No, 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 no. <laughs> the fucking WWF promoted this shit and put it on an album 12 years uh, ago. No, I'm still taking credit for it. <laughs> How do you name... Never mind. No, I'm not even going to go to their marketing department or why it was called forced entry. I'm not going to go there. It was forcible entry, not forced entry. It's a little <laughs> bit different. A little bit yeah, different. much. Um, Okay, so are we? Can we agree that these are the best tag team belts they've ever had? I love these belts. Yeah, these to are me, the best. to me, not only are they classic, they just always like it just worked. Yeah, it felt like a championship that you would fight for, like something. Like I don't that. know why, but the next incarnations of these belts, the SmackDown ones, yeah, they didn't look special. Yeah, they looked very, very generic, like something you'd see at an indie show. Yeah. No offense. Just well, saying. you will actually <laughs> still see these belts at an indie show because someone will buy the replica and make it their fucking heavyweight championship. Well, that's true. But um, uh, this match was you do, okay. You do have to respect how deep Billy and Chuck went with their gimmick. They had, they had definitely conviction of character. In terms, I don't of think at this point though. Uh, they were starting. Was, you were starting to see it. Yeah, they they would go into. Um, God, it was like a Hans and Franz situation. <laughs> it was like the ambiguously gay duo. Yes, they would like work out and like not realize like how you know. Yeah. How it looked <laughs> in the eyes of others. Well, and if you want to know if they were starting this gimmick yet, there's a line where Jr. says, "Well, I could tell you these guys enjoy the double team." So. <laughs> so we know the direction they're going in then. Yes. Um. My? <laughs> Although my favorite thing, right? So we announced this as an elimination tag match, right? Yes. At one point, Lawler says, so what would happen if Billy and Chuck got eliminated? Would the other three teams continue? Um, yes, asshole. That's exactly what an elimination match means. Yeah. JR with the hint of condes- condescending in his voice was like, yes. And the other three teams would con- then compete for the tag titles without Billy and Chuck. That's how that works. <sighs> 
I did forget how big and fat Devon and Bubba were at this particular time. And hats Dude, Bubba hats, specifically, man. Hats off to these guys for the great shape they would get themselves in later in their career. But at this point, this was not peak uh, physical condition for either guy. Well, Bubba at this point is a, looking a lot better than he did two years, three years prior in ECW. I mean, dude, he was pushing, he was pushing 350 in yeah. ECW. He's not 350 here. Um, so my favorite spot in the match. I, I, think, I knew I was going to let you have this one because I knew it was I, coming. I, I think we've already kind of established it. Uh, Stacy jumps up onto the apron. Mind you, she's wearing camo shorts that are already short enough. Vinyl, too, I think. Yes, and um, she decides to try to flirt with Jeff Hardy a little bit, and she lifts her shorts straight up her ass crack. Yeah. And doing? then, and then shakes her ass to, in front of Jeff, and Jeff violently, not violently, aggressively uh, slaps her ass, spins her around, kisses her, and throws her on the floor. Hashtag me too. <laughs> Yeah, again, things you couldn't do in on today's WWF, although if somebody did, I'd give them mad props for trying. Uh, uh, yeah, that, was, that, was, that spot definitely stands out in 2018, no doubt about it. Uh, but you know what else stands out? Stacey Keebler's body. God fucking damn. Like, And I'm not usually one for yeah. like super skinny girls, but she was just... Yeah. <laughs> Do you need a minute or are you, you good? No, no, I'm good. I'm okay. good. I'm good. I had the poster on my wall, by the way, of her from like the uh, hedonism shoot, like back oh, yeah. when I, was... I had. I had the Trish Stratus wet T-shirt with the hose. Yeah. See, because you're more of a breast man, I feel like. I, I like it all, man. <laughs> I, I don't discriminate. Uh, but the, um, another thing that that is sort of funny now in the context of today is at one point Lawler says. Uh, I think Jeff Hardy is experimenting experimenting with some body painting. Like, dude, you have no fucking idea what he's going to do with body painting in a few years. Yeah, you don't even have a fucking clue. <laughs> um, I did love the table spot, though, where Devon went for the was up, and I think it was Chuck, uh, Billy Chuck, sorry, pushes him off the top rope through the table, sort of out of nowhere. That one popped me. I have some sad news to report about this match. I might be incorrect, but I believe this is the last time that the Hardys are a tag team at WrestleMania for, at this point, 14 years. Because after this, we get the bland split, and uh, we get V1, Matt Hardy, and then after that, I feel like him and Jeff are completely just separated. I know that they come together and they fight at WrestleMania 25, but I don't think they come together as a tag team until they get broken in other universes and then reappear at WrestleMania 32. So the WWF would go 14 years without one of their greatest and most over tag teams. Well, I don't know about greatest. These fuckers can't ever single win a match at WrestleMania, so fuck them. <laughs> so well, like they lost again. <clears throat> Yeah, that's the thing. I that's the final thing I put in my notes about this match is, in my opinion, the wrong team won. This would have been a great spot to have the Hardys win the belts, right? Not if you were about to fucking break them up. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Although, were they, though? Because there's rumors that Vince had no idea, like, what he was going to do going into the draft until, like, the day of, so. No, I think he knew. He just didn't tell them. We go backstage again. Scott Hall is pissed the fuck off that he lost. Mm -hmm. But Hogan says he needs a favor from the Brotherhood. He needs to do it himself tonight. Now, with that line alone, that's like the ultimate, like, this guy's turning face line. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anytime you get a heel that says, I got to do it my own, brother. That's a face line. I heard Vince was very, very resistant to Hogan coming back as a heel anyway. He wanted Hogan as a face. So what do you wait, like 30 days before he fully (laughs) made him a face again? Um, And I fucking love this video package, man. This was such a fucking great video package. Oh, before we get to the video package. Yes. Molly Holly's trying to escape from the building like a bad level of Tomb Raider. Yeah. And Christian slams a door in her face to pin her to become the new champion. Well, that, this is why I thought this was my favorite part of this. Because she's walking down the hallway, and you, th- you see her going towards the door. And it's one of those doors that has the top and the bottom sort of split, so you can make a counter out of the bottom door or something if you're selling tickets or concessions or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and as she's walking out of there, the top part of the door just slams her in the face while the bottom part stays covered. And then you see somebody walk out, but you can't see it because the top door is closed. And then he ducks underneath and it's Christian and he pins it. <laughs> I thought this Christian. was done beautifully. It worked because even, even, you know, 2018, I'm like, what an asshole. <laughs> right, right. So he definitely got that heat. Yeah. Um, and then we go to the video package of The Rock and Hulk Hogan, and I fucking love this, man. Yep. First of all, Hogan's uh, part of the beginning where he's talking about how he built everything, like, you know, WWF is so glad to be back, and it's home, and he had so many great moments, and he's like, and then you people turned on me. And he's, he's not wrong, you know. You go back to WrestleMania 9, there was a few people that weren't exactly happy on the title from Yoko that night. Like Bret Hart. <laughs> um, and then Rock comes out, and see, this is why everybody always talks about the dream match between Hogan and Austin. Given Austin's character, I don't think it would have worked as well. I really don't, because guess what? Austin's not coming in that ring and cutting this promo that The Rock cuts. Where he's he's playing the role of a fan of Hulkamania when he was a kid, of you know how we all believed in him and how he turned his back on all of us. I thought that played out really well. Yeah, the way he way he described that. That this whole video package was just top notch. And then the line of the package is like you talk about headlining WrestleMania after WrestleMania. How would you like to headline one more WrestleMania with The Rock? <laughs> Fucking place explodes. Yeah, I mean, Sent, you know, the total package was great. Oh! <laughs> the total package, Lex Luger, um, who at this point is probably what doing coke with Liz or something. Yeah, something like that. Okay. So this is the match that this mania is remembered for. This is the match Icon versus Icon Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. Now, I'm a little bit surprised that they decided to 
still kind of stick with the NWO theme of Hogan going into this. Yeah, I missed Voodoo Child. I really did. Well, it they wasn't going to be on the network anyway. Yeah, I know, I know. But that's the thing is the over the top trying to get Hogan as a heel with hitting the rock in the back of the head with a hammer and then running into him with a semi-automatic, you know, truck into his ambulance. Like, did they really need to do that? Because they weren't going to boo Hogan. Well, you know what? They were, though. They they had booed him during the SmackDown things, during that promo we talked about earlier, uh, when he did all you people turned on me, they booed him. So, so he, he, I mean, he's obviously spent a long time in WCW. He had gotten his heel gimmick over, so I don't think there was any reason to doubt that he could pull it off here. Um, the thing that really struck me was how how good Hogan looked physically at this point. Like, he was in some of the best shape I'd seen him in, better than some of the shape he was in in WCW, for sure. So, that brings up an interesting point, and I know you didn't watch WrestleMania 9 with me, but I made it a point during that episode to say how much smaller he looked compared to, even if you go back to 7, when he was fighting Slaughter for the title. Um... And to your point, he looks great tonight, doesn't he? Yeah, he really, really did. Like, there were points in WCW where he'd look like he didn't. Like, you bought into that whole I'm going to retire thing because he looked like shit. Well, he looked great until the match went on a little bit, and then his hair sort of looked like Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future. (laughs) Like, Christopher Lloyd had a giant bald spot, but... Yeah. Um, No, it, it was obviously amazing seeing Hogan come out. And The Rock come out, and then before the match even starts, the fucking place has that energy of Hogan Warrior. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, it like, was it was easily fucking... above Hogan and Warrior. It was the most electric moment I think I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. And this was without saying anything, without touching, just their presence of the two performers in the ring being in the same ring together created... This is when people talk about WrestleMania moments. This is the WrestleMania moment. Absolutely, that everyone should strive for and, right and here before they leave and lock up. I didn't want to jump into this at this point, but I'm gonna anyway because fuck it, I'm not gonna save it. Um, you know, Cody Rhodes has gone on record to say that this was his favorite match of all time. And there's a lot of people in the industry who have put this match over as one of the most just best performances. And it's not because these guys are doing flips off the top rope. It's not because of some fucking casket on the outside of the ring. It's not because of, um, you know, like a 60-minute Iron Man match. No, this is a moment that shows everybody, I think, what wrestling is about and what it should be about and these are two guys never regarded as the best workers in the world but probably two of the most over guys in the history of the business and you put them in the ring relative uh, of course it's not 1986 it's not hogan's prime but still he still has that fucking presence and and you put him in the ring with the rock and the whole fucking place like you said it's just electric and they're just looking at each other yeah uh, and, and to your point, if you were to watch this match with the mute button on, you'd be like, eh, it was fine, I guess. It was nothing special. This is one of those cases where the crowd and the atmosphere took a match that was a 7 and turned it into a fucking 15. Um, 
we finally get to the point where they lock up, and then Hogan throws the rock off, and the fucking building explodes. I mean, that was as loud a, a roar for a move I can think of in history. To be honest, this was this felt more of an atmosphere than Hogan Andre. Yeah, oh, definitely. Because yeah. I think there was a fear throughout the Silver Dome of, you know, I don't know how Hogan's going to beat Andre. But instead, on this match, you got a nostalgia fear of every time Hogan did anything, it was like being eight years old again. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I wrote this down, and I hate to say it, Rock really getting the Roman Reigns treatment here. Every time he went on offense, people were booing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just... You know what, though? And, and here's the thing. This match was laid out with Hogan working the heel style. And credit to these two guys. They very quickly on uh, sort of read the crowd, could tell where the crowd was going, and basically redid the entire match on the fly with Rock working heel and Hogan working face. For the most part, yes, and definitely towards the end. But um, there were definitely a couple spots that felt forced with, with Hogan being the heel. Um, first of all, just for the record, I hate the back rake. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a move that belongs in set in like 1974, and that's it, and only by certain people. <laughs> um, and then Hogan with the weight belts. But he, almost, used, he used that as a face when he was red and yellow Hulk towards the end in WWE and in WCW. So even as a face, he used the weight belt as a weapon at times. That's true. Now, he, what did you, he definitely did it against the Dungeon of Doom. That's true. So. Um, now, what did you think of the spot where Hogan is in the sharpshooter and he reaches the ropes, but the ref's knocked out? So Rock drags him back to the center, and then Hogan taps. I thought that was a decent way of... Rock, rock heel, Hogan face, yeah. But, like, you never saw Hogan tap. But, hey, to Jerry Lawler's point, he fucking reached the ropes. It should have been a rope break. Right. You don't ever see the, the hero tap. The heel right. is the one that taps, and the referee doesn't see it. So that's why Hogan didn't tap. Hogan was working face. Um, but <laughs> there was one point where Hogan just randomly yells at Rock, you ain't nothing, meatball. The meatball. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? That was a callback to when he fought Rocky Balboa in Rocky Three. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't even catch that. Oh, that, I caught that right away, because oh, he, he said something about it in the back, too, to Hall and Nash. Oh, and, we're, or, okay. and he was like, I'm going to treat him like I treated Rocky Balboa and, and, uh, and Sylvester Stallone, but... It was hilarious because he says, you ain't nothing, Meatball. And I immediately remembered when Thunderlip said that to Rocky. And oh, I was yeah. like, that's fucking hilarious. There was a spot where Hogan uh, went to go over the top rope of the clothesline and just sort of awkwardly bounced off the ropes instead. And then yeah. he just like does an old man fall and powders out. I thought that was <laughs> funny. I enjoyed that. Uh, he took a horrible spear, like bad, really bad bump by Hogan on that one. That looked really awkward. Um Oh, out in the crowd, I saw one of the uh, the black and white rock football jerseys, uh, which is still hands down my favorite wrestling shirt of all time. My cousin bought that shirt. I loved that shirt. I had like two of them. They were great. That was, it was like the time when they were big into jerseys. Like I know Jericho yeah. had a hockey jersey, and there were a Austin of, had a jersey. Yeah, I think Austin had a football jersey. I think somebody had a basketball jersey. They were big. Oh, it makes sense. XFL was just heating up at this point. So. Yeah. 
Um, I'm kind of pissed because that jersey was like 140 bucks when we went to the show at the Garden or the Fleet Center as it was, and I didn't have 140 bucks to spend on a jersey. But my fucking cousin bought it. I guess I, I guess I was the one percent. What can I tell you? <laughs> um, <laughs> there was the spot where they knocked the ref out. I thought it was great because Rock runs past Hogan, and after he passes him, he hits him from behind with a double axe handle to send him yes. to the ref. That was something I don't remember seeing before. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Rock's sharpshooter is worse than Natalia's, um, by far. Well, me and Adam discussed this last episode. So they did a spot in that match where Rock and Austin put each other in the sharpshooter. And, you know, it's it's cool because they're both bleeding at that point. Yeah. But, but I said to Adam, I said, yeah, Austin then reverses it and applies it to Rock, and he does it correctly. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Yeah, Rock's sharpshooter is horrible, man. It always has been. He doesn't even like hold the legs the right way. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you. I always preferred the Rock bottom as a finish to the People's Elbow. The People's Elbow it seemed like a goofy sort of gimmicky thing that made the guy taking the pin off of it sort of look weak and shitty. Of course. Uh, but, of course, he pins Hogan with the People's Elbow here. Uh, well, before he pins Hogan, he – okay. So he hits Hogan with a Rock bottom. And he goes for the pin. And Hogan kicks out. And Hogan, um, you know, to his credit or detriment, doesn't kick out, like, you know, with two and nine tenths. He pretty much kicks out at two, which is fine. Yeah. But even before he, he, he looks up, before he even, like, puts his head up and he's got that look in his eye, the fact that he kicked out of the rock bottom, the crowd knows what time it is and they start going fucking ballistic. Yeah, they, 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 everybody in the fucking Sky Dome comes unglued. Yeah, and they just start, you know, the whole place starts shaking. Hogan starts shaking. He starts hulking up. Um, back when you watched this in 2002, and he hit him with the boot and the leg drop. Did you think that was the finish? No, <laughs> I, I never bought that. The Rock was was not going over here. True, true. No, not even for a second. Um. You talked about some of the overhyping JR did on this. This was like one thing I, I really loved as a nice little touch was when when the pin occurred, uh, JR said, and the Sky Dome jinx continues to haunt Hulk Hogan. Yes. And they didn't overdo it. They didn't they didn't beat you over the head with it. But if you had been following, you knew what it meant. And I thought that was kind of cool. That was cool. Um, did Hogan hurt his ribs? On I a think, shoot, I think he was just selling, but he looked like a, a old beaten man at the end. It was yeah. It was sort of sad. I didn't know if it was the last rock bottom, but he, he kept holding his ribs even when he was trying to pose. That could have been. But, uh, you know, if he did, he, you know, credit to him for finishing the match and doing all the spots after that. So. so in retrospect, sometimes you catch missed opportunities. But how fucking amazing and how would the crowd have eaten it up if when they started to do the pose down, they played Real American? That See, that was my only problem is – they played nothing during the pose. And and you you heard the crowd reacting, so there was that. But, yeah, man, that would have been such a fucking amazing spot. Yeah. I don't know how it would have made sense. I don't, I don't think they anticipated the crowd's reaction to Hogan, and that, that's a great example of it. I don't think they were prepared for it. If they had been, I think they would have had that ready to go. So Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so post-match... Hogan shakes Rock's hand. Crowd eats it up. They love it. They love both these guys. Hall and Nash come out, beat the fuck out of Hogan. Rock comes back, makes the save. 
think they had a tag um, match at a pay per view after that, right? I think it was at Backlash, yeah. and then and then they would do the Blants, but um, but Hogan, uh, you know, one more time for a guy who for the first eight nine WrestleManias was the be all end all in the WWF. Man, it just felt like that again. And do you think this match should have closed the night? In retrospect, absolutely. Um, and I sort of had it in my notes for the main event, but. Um, there's often a debate about whether the championship match should always go on last because it's the championship. And right. I feel like this is a great example of why it shouldn't. And we'll sort of get into that in the next couple matches. See, um, it's weird because they, they tried the generational icon versus icon once in a lifetime uh, a few years later. And that shouldn't have closed the night. Like, it wasn't. Yeah. A match that should have closed the night. But but as we evolve WrestleMania, and this this seemed to me, and you could correct me if I'm wrong because you've been watching it more chronologically than I have, but this seemed to be sort of the first one where we had your multiple main events spread out throughout the show. Like earlier on, we had Taker and Flair, and then we had a little bit of break, and then we went Austin and, and Hall, and then another little break, and then Hogan and Rock, and then a little break, and then the main event. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. This... Uh, was probably one of the first where they started doing stuff like that. Um, maybe you could argue a little bit last year for a couple of matches, like the TLC match. But no, it was it was different though this year because you you had a formula that worked. You were going to put on this really big match, maybe a couple cooldown matches in between, and then go from there. And I think that's a smart formula because it keeps the crowd at the level you want them at for your big-time matches. We like to call them popcorn matches in the business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the next match... So I hate to do this, okay? But the next match was a triple threat for the Women's Championship between Lita, Jazz, and Trish. And These poor women. There was not a worse spot to be on this show than okay. after Rock and Hogan. Oh, yes, but it's not like they did themselves any favors by booking a triple threat. Because triple threats are historically difficult to pull off. Sure. And I don't think anybody looked good in this match. Well, okay, so so let's go from the very beginning here. Because first thing that struck me, and I don't know if you're aware of this, this was Lita's only WrestleMania match as a performer. As I'm a not surprised. She, she interfered in the, in the tag matches in the past or whatever, but this was the only time yep. she ever competed in ring as a, as a performer at WrestleMania, despite how many years she was in the company. A lot of injuries, I think, prevented some of those from yes, happening. Yes, absolutely. Um, her entrance was weird. She would walk a little bit, stop and dance, walk a little bit more, stop and dance some more, walk a little bit more, stop and dance some more. I'm actually going to be doing that around my office tomorrow, just because I thought <laughs> it looked cool. Um, but it was definitely a little weird. See, uh, to me, I didn't understand if Lita was trying to be hardy. Like, because she was part of Team Extreme, yeah, and she didn't yeah. really, like, know her character yet? No, she sort of did some of that in their entrance when they did Team Extreme. Um, but speaking of entrances, Trish with the nice hometown pop, but that moment where she takes the flag and unveils her ass with the maple leaf on it is an iconic WrestleMania moment. I'm sorry. It, in fact, still makes WrestleMania highlight videos when they do it. Um, and it's a it's one that's stuck in my memory. Ever since. Oh, Canada. Yes. <laughs> uh, it definitely stuck in mine for a long, long time. Um, 
And then you get jazz. Yeah, jazz. So, did, did, did it strike you as art? Like, this is clearly being rushed for time, too. So as yes. We, as we critique it, and you know this because Lita and Jazz started fighting, and they rang the bell before Trish ever even got into the ring. Yeah, it's just like run down to be like, yeah. oh, oh, wait, wait, wait for me. So they were clearly rushed for time here. It was not a good match. No, and uh, it felt like it was rushed. Like it yeah. felt like they were rushing through right. spots, which yeah. made it worse. Yeah, the the worst I think to me was uh, Trish went for the bulldog into the corner. Lita sort of fell off, got her legs stuck, and looked like she almost broke her leg as it got stuck in the corner, and yep. then just fell on her neck out to the floor. Uh, that was <sighs> that looked ugly. That was bad. And then Jr. said Trish was jerking Lita off, which was. Okay, and I chuckled. <laughs> so, I understand there was there was a perfect storm of things that went wrong with this match, including the placement on the card. But I just, I you know what, I feel bad, but this match sucked. I can't. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't. And the only thing that was good about it is that they protected Trish. She did not take the pin. They had Lita but, do that. But so, they, but they did the wrong thing in having Jazz keep the title. Well, you're not wrong. Because you know, Trish would at least got a reaction. But if she you know, won, Trish's so. hometown, so. <laughs> Well, back then, I don't know if that was a thing. But... Goddamn, pal, that's how we get heat. Yeah, ask Bret Hart if that was a fucking thing. Um... <laughs> we, well, remember, Bulldog Bulldog won in his hometown. Um, I don't know if it was hometown, but home country. But They fucked him. Um... <laughs> we then go to the WWF Undisputed Championship main event between Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. I mean, Jericho. Sorry. He really did feel like an afterthought no, no, in this. No, 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 You continue to do this. Uh, you missed another title match because as Christian was hopping into his cab to leave the building with his hardcore title, and he goes to kiss the belt, and he's like, uh, look at it, it's beautiful, and it's the ugliest belt ever. Uh, yes, it's got like Maven, a tape around it and stuff. Yes. Maven sneaks up behind him, rolls him up, gets the three, grabs the belt, hops in his cab, which has Christian's bag in it, and fucking <laughs> takes off. So that was the conclusion of the hardcore title odyssey. Oh, did I skip the part of Maven winning yes. that back? Yes. Too bad. No, <laughs> No, you're right. It was, it actually was funny that the one thing always, I liked about that... You always got to skip the black man's accomplishment, Stop right? it. I see how it I, is. I like the fact that he hopped in the cab with Christian's bag yeah, yeah, and then nice. took off holding the belt out the window, and Christian's like, no! As Lala yells, you don't steal another man's cab! <laughs> and that, yes, we end the night, as far as the hardcore championship goes, with Maven retaining... Somehow regaining, yeah. I guess you could say, his title. So, the main event, at first I was like, why didn't we get a video package? And then I was like, oh yeah, there was that goddamn stupid fucking drowning pool concert in the middle of it that gave us the video package for this match. Doesn't work as good when there's not voiceover. Yeah, Just wasn't, saying. Wasn't good. Um, for anybody who was, you know, unlucky to see the video highlight package on heat or something uh triple h and stephanie basically are getting a divorce storyline wise and she took the dog in the divorce and made jericho walk it she she pretended to be pregnant well yes to back up that yeah to she pretended to be pregnant to which triple h found out that she was lying but decided to go through with but the, how did how did triple h find out 
uh, with a tape. Linda they, fucking ratted her out. Yes. Uh, her own mother, the Linda bot, clearly getting yeah. revenge from last year's WrestleMania clearly. on Stephanie. Yes, uh, Steph hired an actor to pretend to be a doctor to say she was pregnant. And then Linda sent Triple H the videotape showing that, hey, that guy's an actor. So they go through with this whole... Well, clearly Linda's not. <laughs> they go through with this whole renewal of the vow ceremony, which back when it aired, I absolutely loved. Because Triple H is like, I see you for who you truly are. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that was part of the problem is this entire feud was built up between exes, essentially, between Hunter and Steph. And, and you know, goddamn, pal, got to get a McMahon in there, got to shoehorn a McMahon in there for the fucking main event. Um, and somehow, because he beat Austin and Rock in the same night, uh, Jericho was the undisputed champion. Perhaps, and sadly, perhaps one of the more lackluster title runs ever yeah now i don't want anybody to get confused i love jericho at yeah. this point yep i just don't think that he was given the proper platform to no. be like if this was 2008 jericho where he was like the super heel and like the most like sadistic bastard in the world it would have been perfect but this was like stephanie's lackey jericho she, he was they were cocking triple h that's what it was yeah and 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 to be honest a heel austin or Kurt Angle, or Undertaker, any of these people would have been better in this spot than Jericho. I will say this. Stephanie was fucking smoking in that show, on that show. She looked fucking great. Oh, yeah. The outfit, the hair, the whole deal. She was a, This was fucking peak Stephanie right here. She was fucking... The ass. Yeah, she was smoke show. <laughs> um, what the was tight it? green jumpsuit. <laughs> was it blue? I think it was blue. Was it blue? It was aquamarine. Okay. <laughs> um... What was not fire was fucking saliva doing Triple H's theme song. That was hot garbage. It was just well, it wasn't that. That wasn't saliva. That was Drowning Pool. I thought it was, I think it was saliva that did it, didn't it? No, no, Drowning Pool did a. It looked like uh, the same guy that was dancing with Stacy Keebler. I know, but Drowning Pool did a, a did cover the, of Time did to the Play the Game. Singer for Saliva played with Drowning <laughs> Pool because either that or they fucking look a lot alike. Go yeah. back and, and you'll hear JR so. say it was it was drowning. Oh wait, pool. so now JR is the fucking beacon of virtue and what's correct in commentary? Now <laughs> well, it would it would make remind sense. you some of the shit we've quoted on this show so far. <laughs> I know, but God it would damn. make sense that Drowning Pool is playing so, Drowning Pool as, song. <laughs> as we continue to discuss the beauty of of JR's honest commentary, he tells us that Hunter's quad is hanging by a thread. To which I reply, that's not how anatomy works, asshole. Um, but yeah, no. But they did play up the quad injury because Jericho's been attacking it for the past well, few weeks. Did they know? Because here's the thing: uh, every time Triple H took a move, he would grab the back of his leg, and the problem with that is that's not where your quad is. That's the your front. hamstring. <laughs> uh, your quad would be in the front of the leg. Okay, um, so that was the other problem with this match: is Triple H. I swear to God, was on the most gas he's ever taken in his oh, life yeah, in this huge. match. He was huge. Like, like way bigger than against Taker last year, and way bigger than he would be against Booker T next so, year. So, so to his his point, I mean, keep in mind he's coming off nine months, and look at what happened with Tommaso Ciampa. When you're coming off nine months where you can't do any leg work in the gym, you over you overdo uh, your upper body. Yeah. Of 
Um, it just didn't play well for Jericho because I'm not believing that the baby face is in peril here. No, no, that's true. <laughs> oh, then, so so to Bret Hart because I meant I teased this earlier. Yes. Uh, apparently, Bret Hart was offered a spot as a special guest referee for this match, and turned it down at the time. He hadn't fully mended fences with the company and <clears> didn't feel like participating, and sort of thought that if he were to accept the role, uh, it would be sort of like a nod to WWE, and he didn't want to do that publicly. Fully mending fences. This is less than three years after his brother died. I'm right, not exactly. surprised yeah. that he didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah, and but but down he any was offer. he was offered the guest referee spot for this match. So I guess that was Vince's idea of extending the olive branch. Well, I wonder. Canada, so. I wonder if Bruce called him and Brett was just like, "No, click." <laughs> um. Okay. So, as you mentioned, Stephanie Smoke Show. Um. Jericho did his best. I don't fault Jericho. No, and this match, again, this match wasn't bad. Like, no, it was just long. So, and I think the crowd was tired at this so point. So to my too. point earlier, if you were to take this match and watch it on mute, it's a far better match than Rock Hogan in terms of work. Of course. But uh, the crowd was so burnt out from, from Rock Hogan, they never came back, and they just it didn't. Sustaining. It's not that Hunter wasn't over, because I encourage you go back and watch his return at Madison Square Garden not a month or so before this. Uh, it was the loudest cheer I've ever seen for someone's return, ever. Um, no, Hunter was over. Yeah. I was a fan of Hunter at this point. I remember but like praying that he won the title. This, so. this crowd was just done after Rock Hogan. And that absolutely should have been the main event, because they just had no energy left to give these guys. And it showed. Yep. I know there's a story that Lita, it was so quiet after Rock Hogan that Lita could actually hear a couple dudes at ringside saying offensive things about her and, and went to security about it. Which is crazy because this is 70,000. Right. Deep. This isn't a 7,000. 70,000. No. Yeah. I don't know if you saw in the back, there was a couple guys walking across the screen repeatedly with the Y2J sign. Oh, no, I saw that. It was funny because he hit a move and like a cartoon, they just like ran yeah. back. Like Y2J. <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I'm not. I still haven't figured out what kind of edge you get from holding the ropes during a spinning toehold, but uh, apparently mm. it's something. Um, I talked about Hunter grabbing the back of his leg the whole time, which has not worked. Um, I like Jericho putting him in the figure four around the post. So I like that too. However, if you're so concerned about your quad and your leg, why are you not wearing a brace that would add the additional support to your leg? He had a bandage. Seems like a bad Not that choice. That's going to do anything. Uh, uh, also, if your if your quad is quote unquote hanging by a thread, would you waste what, a pedigree which takes all the impact on your leg and knee area on your wife or your ex wife, <laughs> or would you save that for the you know big dude who's a heavyweight champion who you need to beat? Well, uh, hold on a second, because <laughs> that I will disagree with you with because although that is the move where her titty popped out at a previous show, just not the yes. Point. Although it almost did. Um, that jumpsuit was stretching. Uh, so, Triple H's uh, attempt to pedigree Stephanie was the thread throughout this match. That was the, the story in this match. And that's the one point I felt the crowd came but alive. It made, it's when it actually Triple H look like an seven. idiot. He looks like an idiot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it didn't change, you know, the outcome of the match. No, but, but if, you got fuck, if your knee is that fucked up... Why would you waste the, take the risk? 
Yeah, if your arm's bro- if your arm's broken, why would you do a one winged angel? <laughs> well, I've talked about the idiocy of that. Um, uh, this, yeah, this, the the total lack of of reaction from the crowd really killed this match, as I said earlier. Uh, Stephanie, to her credit, and a lot of people give her shit. I thought she did an excellent job on her ref distractions here. Like she wasn't just standing there flirting with him; she was actively trying to get in the ring and forcing the referee to hold her back. Which so he wasn't seeing things out of his peripheral or anything like that. So I thought she did. That was just a small little touch that I thought she was excellent at in this one. She was um, she definitely was? I thought she played her role nicely. I thought everybody involved really played the role nicely. I mean, yeah. Triple H, you know, looked like yeah. a vengeful monster and conquering coming back after the quad injury. Yeah, and I, um, think, I think if this match takes place before. Rock Hogan, we're talking about it in much higher regards. In, in Absolutely. Um, you still got that moment with Triple H holding up both belts. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Um, little, I liked it. Little side note, I don't know if you've ever heard this. Apparently, when they went for their paydays, uh, Jericho got his, and it was it was only five figures, and he was expecting yep. a lot more. And he went to Hunter and asked Hunter what he got, and Hunter said he got six figures. Jericho was incredibly pissed off at this point. Uh, barged into Vince's office, uh, and and Vince sort of laughed about it, and then just told Jr. go cut him a check, and Jericho ended up with more money than he ever expected to get. Yeah, well, it wasn't just like, oh, well, Hunter got paid a hundred thousand, I got paid ninety thousand. No, it was a significant difference. If Five you times to Jericho. Or yeah, yeah, to the point where that's what enraged him to go with Vince and be like, this is bullshit. Right. Um, and Jericho, you know, to his credit, has never been one to to not stick up for himself. So, yes, and to Vince's credit, he did make it right. Yeah, obviously, he never would have if nobody said anything. But he probably didn't even know, to be honest with you, dude. It was probably an oversight from someone else. I don't think Vince handles the payroll himself. Well, that's the thing too. This guy's got you know so many fucking millions, especially WrestleMania week. Right. Like, I don't think he even really. You know, probably glanced over it, but yeah, he made it right. So yeah. at least you can say that about Vince. They don't roll with Triple H as the top babyface in the company, though, which kind of surprised me. He's he's but, not super sympathetic. It's it's no, but you know what? Going back and watching these WrestleManias, he was over as a face of Pot of DX. Sure, like people loved him, but I think they were over for the gimmick more so than just him specifically. Probably. Uh, it probably doesn't hurt to have you know people like Sean, yeah, like carry you to that spot from what you were before, yeah. which was nothing, you know. And don't, don't forget, China added a lot to that act too. Absolutely, uh, China, who's gone from the company at this point? Yeah, gone. <laughs> they don't even fucking mention her. They didn't treat her like a woman. They didn't treat her didn't like treat a her like a man. They just treated her like an unemployed person. <laughs> All right, so. Match of the night for me, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Hogan Rock. Yeah, I mean... Stole the fucking show. And not because of any moves they did, but because of the fucking feeling it brought. Yeah, no, and it's 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 without a doubt the the WrestleMania match that's given me the most feels. Uh, and even going back and watching it now, it still is transcendent. It still holds up, which yeah. is... That's the thing, too. I remember how I felt about the match when I watched it when it happened. But going back now, I felt it all over again, man. Yeah, absolutely. The atmosphere—you've just—I've never before, never again seen an atmosphere like that. Uh, worst match of the night. I hate to do it, but it was the women's match. Yeah, I can't—I can't disagree with you there. I mean, it was wrong it was, spot, wrong people. Again, and I think to, to 
it's not to throw shade on the ladies because I think they were just put in a shitty spot in terms of their placement on the card and the fact that they were clearly cut for quite a bit of time and rushed through everything. So I don't think it was the match they had laid out. And I, well, I don't think it was their fault, but I got to keep it real. It's the worst match of the night. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, next up, next time on WrestleMania Salvation, we'll be going to Seattle, Washington. Not only has the active roster been split in half at that point, thanks to the Monopoly laws, but WWF loses their F, which apparently stands for fun. Sadly, they're still trying to find it to this day. And, and though I am not going to be on that episode, I will say this. Uh, one of the WrestleManias with one of the biggest hidden gem matches that people tend to forget in Shawn Michaels on that show. So, Ah, uh, yes. You're talking about HBK's return to WrestleMania against Y2J. Yeah, it's, it's a match not many people consider the greatest in WrestleMania history, but it was outstanding, and you'll see. Fuck that. I love that match, yeah. and it sticks out in my memory. Yeah. One of my favorites. Even at the very end where he Nakamura'd him. That's yeah. the verb. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Sal. It's always fun to be on here and uh, take a walk down memory lane and relive my childhood. Absolutely. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at WrestleMania Sal. Is follow. that your Twitter handle? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Follow Jason at at Jay Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, 0900. And follow the Rundown at Rundown Podcast. If you're a fan of horror, check out the Slasher Sanitarium and give them a follow at Slasher Podcast. And check out all of our shows on the Rundown feed, including Glow Stick the Nitromania podcast, and of course, the flagship show, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, now with a new guy named Jeff. He's very bland. At least it's open. He's not bland during the show, but his open is kind of bland. And uh, of course, if you'd like to uh, support us financially, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling. Uh, we have a couple of donations here there. Every dollar you donate to this feed goes right back into the program and we do not profit from it at all. Uh, it pays for hosting fees and allows us to keep more of an archive up for you guys to go back and listen to it. Absolutely. Now, to close it out, Jason, I have been trying out a new catchphrase at the end of every episode. So, are you sure it's a word? Have you looked that up? Oh, it's a few words. Okay. Remember, if you don't got it, get it. And if you don't get it, figure it out. Yes? No? No. no. Oh, all right. I thought I thought the John Laronitis one was a golden opportunity. No? No. No. Yep, swing and a miss, pal. Swing and a miss. <sighs> Back to the drawing board. We'll get it. We'll work on it. But for now, later. <laughs> <laughs>